Hey guys, brand new podcast, and I've been excited for this one for a while. It's Dane Cook. It's Dane Cook. I've been back and forth with Dane for a while now, and, uh, you know, Dane has always been a very, very private person. There's a lot Dane doesn't talk about. Um, I know that. I've known Dane for about 20 years, and uh, I knew when podcasting took off, I knew Dane was going to be awesome at it, but I knew it wasn't going to be the first thing he wanted to do. We talk about that a little on the podcast today. But uh, does he have a podcast? He does not have a podcast. It's not Dane is, you know, it's interesting. He's a, he's an interesting guy because he didn't have a problem chatting with. I gotta. He didn't have a problem chatting with fans and hanging out and doing a meet and greet and staying in line and talking to everyone and replying to everyone. But there's something about him that is very, very, very private. He's not an extrovert as people would imagine. It's so funny knowing him as long as I've known him and hearing people talk about him and the way they perceive him mm-hmm. and then going, oh, that's not that guy at all. Right. Like, oh, he must be fun as fuck to get high as shit with Dane. And you're like, oh, he doesn't party at all. Right. Like, he's never drank ever once in his life. Really? He's never drank. Never wow. drank. It's just, it's just, he just, I, we talk about it on the podcast. We mm-hmm. talk about that. We talk about uh, trust issues. <laughs> Dane, you know, Dane talks about, you know, what it was like to to go from broke to f- to set for life to broke again. Right. Must have been terrifying. He talks about it on the podcast. It's a great interview. It really is a, Halston, when we got done, I was, you guys know sometimes I, I do better interviews when I'm like super fucking excited yeah. about the guy. Yeah. It's. It's why I suck at a pod, as a podcaster. You don't suck. I do. I did suck really bad. I've gotten a lot better. Well, yeah. I've gotten a lot, lot better as a podcaster. If you suck, nobody would listen. I know, but but in the beginning when I first started this, there were I can tell you exact episodes where I was like hungover, didn't know who the person was at all, didn't do any research, and didn't have any reason for the. Didn't even have a. I mean, I was. Horrible. And then you'd get guys like Segura or Burr or Ari or Joey or Rob Riggle or, you know, like the, the people that I got excited to talk to or, or that drove conversations. And, and I, you could really tell when I, those popped up. I've gotten better. I think I've gotten a lot better. Since Halston started working for me, I got better because I didn't have to watch levels. That was what right. would throw me off right. is I was constantly watching levels. So I was like, am I recording this conversation? Um and I've been able to focus on the person I'm talking to right. and not worry about anything else. And that has gotten, I think, that was probably the number one advancement in this podcast is Halston. Not just for the technical side, but just taking alleviating worry off me. But I got done and I said to Halston, I said, what did you, I said, tell, what did you say, Halston? I said, what did you think about that podcast? I was like, it's one of the best ones you've ever done. Yeah, it's, it's a good awesome. one. It's a good one. Um, but once again, it's like I'm, I'm emotionally invested in the podcast. I, I, I love Dane. I've known Dane for a while. Um, and he's on tour. You can go to his tour and find him on tour at danecook.com. It is all, uh, he'll talk about all this. I'm not going to put words in his mouth, but I think it's the best work he's doing. I think it's, it's hints of who we all fell in love with of, of Dane, of how he worked and, and a more introspective Dane. He's a lot calmer as a person, a lot more grounded. I remember telling him that at the, at the, at the bar or at the improv bar one time he was like, I lost both my parents in a month. Yeah, it kind of wow. grounds you. Yeah, he lost both his parents very quickly, and and then his, you know, he had that fallout with his his brother. Yeah, and we talk about that a tad bit. It's a great interview. You're gonna absolutely love it. And and I really implore you, if you do like the interview, if you had fun, go check out Dane live. He's on tour. 
go. I'm telling you that comedy is just booming right now. There's it so is. many great and Dane is Dane is part of the. If you really look at this, Dane is almost solely responsible for the comedy boom we're living in. Yeah, he introduced comedy to so many people. Yeah, he was people's first foray into comedy. He was he was the guy in the dorm room where people were like, oh, well, at a certain age, yeah. No, no, but if you think about it, he introduced all that generation to comedy. Yeah, that's what I mean. A that lot generation, of generation yeah, to comedy, right, right? And then a lot of people found some people didn't like it, some people liked it. Some people were like, oh, I, I like uh, Hedberg better. I like I like uh, uh, some alt kind of like Janine better, and and but everyone found their camps in a weird way. Mm-hmm. Before that, comedy. I mean, I remember I remember comedy before that. It just wasn't the way it is on the road today. It just wasn't. Wasn't as vibrant. It wasn't. It wasn't. In it, and now it's so important with what's going on in society, in the media, in 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 politics, free speech. It's so fucking important. I always go back to this moment I had where I was like, you know, you forget your group. We did Brody's service last night, and you looked around. And you're like, it's really bizarre to go. Oh, I'm a. I'm a member of this group that was all sitting in the main room, about 300 of us. And you're looking around, you're like, this is my team. Yeah. And it's just brilliant motherfuckers. This is my SEAL Team 6? This is my SEAL Team 6. (laughs) And you look around, it's just, I don't know. This is a great podcast. You're going to fucking love it. I can't wait. Yeah. Are you going to listen to it? Yeah, I think I'll listen to this one. Someone started listening to Rogan. I did. I listened to uh, Rogan Talks to Dr. Phil. Oh, that was a good one, huh? And I have been attempting to listen to him talk to David Lee Roth. David Lee Roth's out of his fucking mind, huh? Out of his goddamn gourd, man. Let me tell you something. That man's as a shithouse rat. He is fucking crazy. I turn that on because sometimes if if I see Joe is live streaming, I'll just just click it on and check it out, you know? And uh, Like he can't even keep the same thought in one sentence. Yeah. Like in the middle of the sentence, it will change directions. I don't know how Joe did that. He must Joe must have been like TikTok. When is this thing over? I bet Joe just got high as fuck. He was like, "Let's <laughs> Let ride this out, see where it goes." Woo, it was hard. I mean, I've watched forty five minutes, and I thought it was three hours long, so I can't follow him. Uh, this podcast is brought to you by ZipRecruiter. ZipRecruiter is absolutely fantastic. It is ultimately how we found Halston. We put it out there in the universe. The thing about Hiring. If you need, if you have the right people, like I talked about, Halston having the right people do the right job, then you don't have to worry. Your business can excel. Well, you can make money in other places. That's yeah. the thing. You can focus your attention to other places of your business. Yeah. And with the wrong people, you are exhausted. Yes. <laughs> and you don't have to use that when you work with ZipRecruiter. ZipRecruiter sends your job to over a hundred of the web's leading job boards, but they don't stop there. With their powerful matching technology, ZipRecruiter scans thousands of resumes to find the right people with the right experience and invite them to apply for your job. As applications come in, ZipRecruiter analyzes each one, spotlights the top candidates so you never miss a great match. ZipRecruiter is so effective that 80% of the employers who post on ZipRecruiter get quality candidates through the site within the first day. And right now, my listeners can try ZipRecruiter for free at this exclusive web address, ZipRecruiter.com slash BurtCast. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash BurtCast. ZipRecruiter.com slash 
BurtCast. I hit up the ZipRecruiter people. A lot of these sponsors you'll hear on the podcast now, um, I actually talked to. We had an upfront for podcasts where we met the sponsors. Yeah. And I reached out to them and I was like, yo, your, 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 uh, your, your app or your whatever it is. Your service? Your service um, really helps. And I want to keep working with you. ZipRecruiter is one of them. I met the guy and I was like, dude, can I tell you what I love about you guys? He goes, what I said, your commercial on TV has all the flags on the back of all the colleges. And so when the commercial started, I looked and I went, Florida State. Oh, what, the, what, the, what are they talking about? And I was like, oh shit, this is ZipRecruiter. <laughs> I was like, that was fucking brilliant. You I are, love good marketing. You are a dork. Yeah. This podcast is also brought to you by <laughs> Four Sigmatic. Are you one of the 64% of the Americans that drink coffee daily? Yes. Then let me introduce you to Four Sigmatic. These guys have been making drinking mushrooms a thing since 2012. Did you know that people drink mushrooms? No. Yes. Drinking mushrooms. Four Sigmatic sells mushroom coffee that actually tastes great and is damn fucking good for you. The founding guys are these fun guys. The founding fun guys. <laughs> There's a lot of alliteration. Fun guys. Ah, ah, ah. Very good. Jesus Christ, that's why I misread this. Keep this fuck up in. The founding fun guys of <laughs> Four Sigmatic grew up on foraging, grew up foraging mushrooms in Finland. In fact, the Finns have been brewing mushroom tea for centuries. They knew, as did the Peruvian. There's mushrooms are super healthy for you. Uh, Do you know yeah, that? Yeah, duh. Yeah. They knew that mushrooms are some of the world's most nutritious foods. So they brought it to America in a format they knew we loved. Coffee. I was going to say coffee. I was going to say something totally inappropriate because about what America they love brought to you in the format Americans love cheeseburger. I was pizza. thinking burger. <laughs> I was thinking burger. Yeah. Mushroom coffee has half the caffeine of regular coffee, but it's truly magic. While these shrooms don't make you high, they will help you think. Personally, mushroom coffee is way easier on my gut. I if I drink coffee late at night and I like to have a coffee before I go on stage if I'm when I'm on the Body Shots World Tour, it fucks my stomach up. Yeah. It, yeah, it fucks my stomach up. Probably because your stomach's already anxious. Then you put that in it and it's just double down. This is way easier on your gut and doesn't give you that like jittery, like junky feeling at the end of the night. Co mushroom coffee has two rock star mushrooms in it. Lion's Mane and Chaga. My, Lion's Mane is my favorite functional mushroom. I love it. It's your brain's best friend. Chaga, on the other hand, is a winter necessity. It supports your immune system because who has time to get sick? I sure as fuck don't, and George is getting sick right now. Mushroom coffee comes in easy to use and carry single serving packets. Stash them at your desk, in your gym bag, in your suitcase, in your pocket, get to the store, ask for a hot cup of water, and bam, you're drinking mushroom coffee. Oh, uh, did I mention it's USDA organic and paleo certified and has zero sugars and zero calories and a whole lot of fucking power? And of course, we have a special offer for my BurtCast audience. Receive 15% off your Four Sigmatic order. Go to foursigmatic.com slash BurtCast or use a get discount code BurtCast at checkout. I'm going to spell it out for you. That's F-O-U-R-S-I-G-M-A-T-I-C.com slash BurtCast or simply use the discount code at checkout for 15% off. Thank you to all my sponsors. You're going to absolutely love this podcast. I, I hope you have a fantastic week. Body Shots World Tour, D.C., Jersey, then Philly um, this weekend. 
Uh, next weekend, I am in Utah and Colorado. All those shows are sold out. All this weekend shows are sold out. And then we are wrapping up the Body Shots World Tour, thinking about possibly driving at the end all the way back to California. If you are in Wyoming or uh, or Colorado or Nevada on that trip home, Google Minneapolis, Los Angeles, and you want to have a party and invite me over to it's a party, hit me up. Oh, please, Bert Kreischer. I'm thinking about a five-day road trip in the yeah. tour bus. No, no, no. Oh, my God. You know Just how many emails Bert, I'm going to get Bert, people Bert, hitting Bert, me Bert. up? Com. Go to Bert, Bert at BertBertBert.com. You suck, Bert man. at BertBertBert.com. The last week of the tour. What is it? It's uh, Green Bay, uh, Milwaukee. Minneapolis. And Minneapolis. I can't fucking wait. Uh, I mean, I... I got, I'm really sad this tour is coming to an end. It's not ending. It's pausing till the fall. It's pausing to the fall. And then yeah. we're going big in the fall, motherfuckers. Well, in the, in the fall. Bigger, you... bigger tour bus. I'm thinking about getting two tour buses. Oh, my God. <laughs> so you can ride them both at the same time? Yeah, just I have options. You are cray-cray. Oh. Uh, but thanks, everyone, who's come out to all the cities. And I will see you guys this weekend in D.C., Jersey, and Philly. Ladies and gentlemen, without further ado... Today's podcast, Dane Cook. This is the grip strength. My grip okay. Okay. So, oh, okay. so all you gotta do is okay. squeeze down as hard as you can. Alright? Yeah, go. Impressive. What is it? Fifty-seven point five. Impressive grip is that, strength. Is that good? That's good fucking grip strength. You okay. look great, so I can't, I can't even <laughs> breathe right now. Um, are you ready, Austin? I'm obsessed with grip strength and holding my breath. What's the t- what's the average uh, grip strength that would right be? Right around uh, there. That's that is uh, strong grip strength. I'm a lefty. Should I try it lefty and see if I? <laughs> oh, you, I love your brain's doing exactly what my brain does. Yeah. As I go, hold on, give me one more shot. Yeah, at let that. me beat that. <laughs> yeah, that's my whole fucking life, right there. Um, <laughs> uh, hang on. Let's put this. Let's upload this. Yeah, you know, there, can I tell you? I go back to. I go back to. Was I? I was gonna say. I'll. I'll throw it on mine after, and we can. Perfect. You know, if it's in your story. Um. I go back to. I tell this story. I tell a couple stories about you a lot. Okay. Um. The number one is being. There was like two days, where we were at your house, uh, playing guitar. Remember the first day was this uh, the old apartment that yeah, I lived the in best out here? Fucking apartment in the yeah, world. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The Lafontaine building. The best fucking apartment. I drove past that apartment one time. Barry Katz. Barry's such a big part of my life that I don't really talk to him. It feels weird to not, you know, like those formative years of me getting into this business. Right. Yeah. Were so Barry Katz heavy. The way he explained life. Listen, Papa, you can be someone like Dane, who his house is his, it's his castle, it's where he rejuvenates, and it's, he sp- right. spends a little extra, but it's a nice place. Or you can be like, there was some writer I forget, and he was like, saves his money, lives in a shithole. Right, frugal. Yeah, and I'm, I remember going to your house the first time and literally doing this, going like, what? Right. And it was the, the most beautiful. Explain to people that don't know this this apartment. Okay. So the LaFontaine building, which is on Crescent Heights and Fountain in West Hollywood, is one of the oldest buildings in Hollywood. It's like 90 years old. The Kennedy boys lived there back, you know, when they were scoundrels. And, you know, even during the presidency, that was like their haven to bring 
you know, women. Yeah. I knew all this because the landlady, Tilly, who was 90, when I got there, had all the stories. So she was really? just like a rumor mill of like Steve Martin stories. Belushi lived in my apartment before I moved in there. That was the last place he lived Shut before up. he died up the street. Um, in fact, the uh, the painted bedroom upstairs was Belushi painted it all blacked out because he wanted it totally dark. He slept like all day, total vampire, Shut total up. comedian type. Yeah, you yeah. Know? <laughs> um, so I was living in there. But here's what people don't realize. I, for the first half of my career, whether it was living in a nice apartment building or getting myself like a new Lexus. Or I was oh, like... Oh, Lexus truck. I remember this truck. I, yeah. That, I remember that fucking truck. That's right. It had... It had do you don't understand? <laughs> it had navigation in it. You said... I remember getting in your car and you go, where are we going? And yeah. I was like, I'll show you. And you go, just tell me the address. I was like, yeah. what is that? You, you whip out a Thomas guide and I'm fucking like... <laughs> Uh, but man, my whole, my whole philosophy back then in, in people, you know, probably don't even believe it, but I didn't know how long the ride was going to last, dude. And to be honest, I grew up a welfare kid in Arlington, Massachusetts. No, I'm serious. I, I had a lot of fucking insecurity coming up about what my longevity would, I, I was more cocksured than I was sure, yeah, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so growing up in a family on food stamps and, you know, just like just trying to get by and working under the table, my mom housekeeping, cleaning people's fucking toilets. I was like, I'm gonna live it up. I'm going for it full tilt. If it costs me extra, if I don't have money, if I gotta buy this website and I have no more money left, I, I just was like, I'm gonna enjoy whatever the fraction of this career is and hope then maybe it'll it'll go further. So yeah. you got to see one of my first cool joints as opposed to the... You were the first person I, I knew in this business that spent money on themselves. Took Took... Everyone else was like, I'll, I'll audition, I'll do this, I'll do that. And you were like, oh no, I drive this ship. And this, this, this I tell the story a lot. I've told it a lot on this podcast. It was, it was one of those moments you have in life where you just, you, it forms the way you look at things forever. Is uh, you call me up and you're like, hey man, you play guitar, we should play guitar. And then we went over and we were playing guitar and you're like, we should start like some sort of comedy band. And I remember <laughs> as we were playing, you kept going over to your computer. I go, what are you doing? You go, oh, I'm replying to fans. You should yeah. check it out. It's this thing called MySpace. And I was like, oh, good luck. <laughs> right. I remember I remember literally you telling me about MySpace. <laughs> and I go, I was like, yeah, okay. I'll yeah. chat online with people. By the way, cut to like fucking five weeks later, five weeks later after that, I'm doing coke <laughs> with some guys in, in Venice who are the programmers for MySpace? And they're yeah. like, they're like snorting coke and programming, and we're all partying, but they're still programming. Yeah. And they're like, do you know who Dane Cook is? And I was like, how the fuck do you know who Dane Cook is? And they're like, dude, he's gonna be big. And I was like, oh, you seen him do stand up? They're like, no, no, I haven't seen him do stand up at all. But his online presence. And I was like, the fuck did these? They're guys on the do? algorithm of my MySpace. Yeah. But you told me you get on MySpace, and yeah. then at and the end of that, and I said respond to everybody. And I remember good bad. or bad, respond yeah. to everybody. Yeah, it was like the early version of what they would call now like good radio, which is like. Whatever someone thinks about me, I'm going to respond because it's going to perpetuate. And we want perpetuation more than we want anything else. Yeah. You know, because that leads to, you know, uh, consistency, good or bad consistency, <laughs> but at least people are still talking and hashing it out. And if you're in the center of it and you're bringing people to each other and you're keeping the debate going, well, then that's good for business. Consistency. Yeah. 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 Just keeping your name out there. I like that. Sure. The, at the end of that day, I remember you going, what? I remember like, I think we went to see a movie and you're like, hey, you want to do this tomorrow? And I was like, yeah, yeah. You're, and I drink, you don't. And I was like, I'm going to go drink. And you're like, eh, I don't know. Yeah. And you, I remember you saying, what the fuck is this? I, I, what is this business? Like, is it, Burr has said the exact same words to me. Like, what is this? Like, 
have we just is this all we're gonna do is just do spots is that it and i was yeah. like in my head i was like i guess i don't i don't think that way about i don't think bigger picture sometimes i just think like present right and i left i came back the next morning and uh you were grinning ear to ear and you go i just booked a movie i went what oh my god you go i'm going to china oh my god that was 2001 they called they called immediately and you out of nowhere they had seen a yes. tape and they just called and they said hey you got a movie and you I can't believe you and i talked that morning that was that you're morning. the first person i told i know oh, and you shit. went you said this is what i love about this business yeah it's like a lottery ticket right you go yesterday i was in the dumps i'm going to china and yeah. i was like i remember going like i got excited for my career because of you <laughs> going like fuck yeah we can do this <laughs> dude I, two weeks before that was actually 9 11. Yeah. so it was like we were all at our lowest point and then two weeks after that peter powell who is the cinematographer and then director of that movie called me and it was so random called me from hong kong you want to come over and do this movie with michelle yo i was like this is what i want to do comedy and away from comedy during my hopefully my days be filming something somewhere yeah you know so it was cool man i can't believe that was you and i that morning yep Fuck. Because people, I don't know if people know, like, we go back way further, man. Mm -hmm. We start in New York City is actually yeah. where we kind of broke bread for the first time. Do you remember that first place that we, we sat down and had a conversation? Uh, yeah. It was, I think it was right at, was it? It was in Times Square. Was it right, was it right after you did your, your half hour, your presents? Um, I, I was it a little sooner? I'm might not sure. Been, I'm terrible with then. time. I've always yeah, been yeah, really, yeah, yeah, yeah. We sat at the Howard Johnson's Motor Lodge. <laughs> yeah. Okay, here's how here's how you know Bert and I are older. It wasn't even Hojo's, which was the later cool nickname for Howard Johnson's after they were already at their peak. We were at Howard Johnson's Motor Lodge in Times Square. Yeah. Eating breakfast for dinner and talking shit, man. Talking about like what we wanted to do out of New York City. I went to your taping for your 30 minute special. Yeah. And I remember I, I like it's it's interesting because um, you know, I, I, there's, you know, the, the, the ups and the, va the valleys of like criticism you've gotten from our peers, mostly I haven't heard comics. What are, what are, what are, I'll walk you through it. <laughs> but like, it's so funny. And then, and then I remember, I remember the day, uh, no, I'm not doing, I don't want to do a, this is your life with you, but I remember the day you were in, uh, USA today. My dad texted me and he was like, Bert, Dane Cook is the number one selling comedian ever in the history and i went i i was like what he goes yeah. pick up usa today and i called you and i was like dude congratulations and you were like and you just very you just thank you yeah and like nothing more than that thank you and i and i remember i remember jay moore telling me you gotta see dane do stand up at the time you were just you were on fucking fire mm. I, it was like everything that came out of your mouth was genius and i remember i remember being like you were going on stage, and I remember bringing friends to come see you. Going, I hope he does this bit. Right. I hope he does this bit. <laughs> yeah. But the but the you see the ups and the valleys, and I I've always say this to everyone, dude. You'll never hear a bad word coming. I mean, I'll be critical of my friends always, but like right. in life, but like you'll never hear me say a bad word about you because, dude, you've made me laugh harder than any one individual. I rem I remember I remember kind of jokes you told that I think about all the time. Do you remember one time Brian Volkweiss had an idea about coin operated uh, gyms? <laughs> I do you remember that? Yeah. And you were like, you ever have an idea so fucking stupid you want to kill them? And you go, he goes, oh, I got an idea. <laughs> but like, it's it's so funny about all those, all the, and it's been it's been fun to watch. And I remember the and and then we'll start talking. But yeah. running into you at the you lost both your parents gone through a bunch of drama yeah and and um 
and I, I was like, hey, how you doing? And you were like, good. And it was like the first time in a while where you were like super grounded. I go, dude, you seem super grounded. Yeah. You were like, huh, had the year I had and you end up turn up being pretty grounded. Yeah, man. That was, <laughs> you know, it's funny because just kind of going back to the first part of that was like when people talk about the the peaks and valleys of a career or my, say my career in particular, the one part I always like to really make sure I, I remind people of is it started in a valley. And by the way, also to note, your valleys are 10 times higher than all of our well, peaks. <laughs> well, I don't know about that. My peak hasn't been on a private jet yet. Your valleys have been in private jets. So like like your valleys, like to say that your peaks and valleys, your peaks are, right. your peaks are un, unmatched by any comic in the, this business. The, the, the valley was maybe like the the 15 years leading up to anything happening, right? So that's 15 before, what do you consider your big break? Got it. Uh, I think that it started to really turn in like 2003. That's really when it's, I started to feel like it was turning into something uh, bigger and more exciting. The pipe dream was becoming the pipe reality. Yeah. So up until then, for me growing up, again, growing up in the situation I did with uh, the income and all that, it was like any gigs were leading me to a better life, you know, and not yeah. a life of fear and in, in, in being scared anymore like yeah. I was when I was younger. So no matter how high up and exciting, and we could talk about those, those things got, when they would come down like a career does, you know, it ebbs and flows, it was like, I'm never going back to Arlington to fucking welfare. I'll yeah. tell you that much. Yeah. So I know what a career is, and a career is it crests, and then it, you know, takes a dip, and then you got to reinvent, and you got to grow, you got to rebrand, you have to grow with your fans. They're going to tap out, and they're going to tap, maybe tap in, then you have a second chance to make them go, yeah. oh shit, okay, you know what? Yeah, yeah, maybe I was wrong. I'm still. And so I kind of saw that early on in, in, in those conversations with you. I, I remember already having the, the wherewithal to be like, you got you to gotta go through the spanking machine, man. It's going to be, it's, it's a brutal career, yeah. you know? People don't know, man, what we sacrificed to get here. And I remember those conversations about the Rolling Stone article and all yeah. the stuff that we talked about that was happening with you a few years behind me. I said, it's all that stuff's going to be part of what we are eventually, part of what we are today. You were the guy everyone looked at as first guy out the boat, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. All of us looked at you as first guy out the boat. We're all storming Normandy. If there's one guy we want to go out the boat for, it, first it's that guy. Yeah. Because in our heads, I, I, all of us were like, if it doesn't happen for Dane, it's not happening for anybody. You wow. were so, you were so, you, you are. I mean, I say you were because I think of that, I think of ourselves as young. Yeah. But I do the same thing. It's yeah. like, I'm the best I've ever been now, but I can still look and go, man, I was rocking and rolling in 1998. But, but your, <laughs> your catalog doesn't get old. Like m when I listen to myself, like it, that and that special, I go, ooh. I listen to your shit and I fucking played it for my daughters the other day and they're pissing themselves. Mitch Hedberg, pissing themselves. Dave Attell, pissing themselves. Yeah. And and I look at my old stuff and I'm, it's basically me doing an imitation of you. <laughs> you, oh, know cops hate? you know what cops hate? You know what cops hate? It was like, it really is. It's an imitation of you and Attell oh, is how man. there were so many of us that did that. Yeah. I, I You know, it's funny because I, from where I was sitting, I thought if I'm going to be very candid about it, like, you know, there's no, there's no like pecking order of who's next to break. You know, it's, it's, it's an impossible kind of wheel that spins, but I felt like weirdly, maybe my own insecurity, but when I broke, I felt like there was other guys that should have broken before me that I was almost like I had hopped ahead of people. And so honestly, it's like, I remember going through a stage back then feeling like, I wonder if people don't like that I made it when I did because 
Um, because, you know, what comes with that is a lot of other people being questioned about why aren't you doing that like that guy? Yeah. So it was a strange kind of um, uh, yin and yang because I was happy that I was succeeding. But weirdly, I was like, oh, I don't feel like I deserve it any more than some of these other guys that have been, you know, rocking since I saw them in New York City. You know what yeah. I mean? I, I know what you mean. That's why I love seeing guys, you know, again, like I know you were in the graduating class behind me, but I love seeing all of you guys using every you know, element this to get the word out. This is all I did. I was just doing the same thing, but, but with the ever, first version. Did you ever lay in bed and go like, I mean, I, I know, I know, I already know your answer, but like, please tell me a different answer. Did you ever lay in bed and go, is anyone going to acknowledge that I created the blueprint of how we're doing it these, day, these days? <laughs> Not, like, not, I know you're going to say no, but like, did you ever go like, no, no I get it. Not hey, get an online presence. Great idea. <laughs> Wonder where you came up with that. Were you the guy fucking spending a quarter of a fucking hundred thousand dollars on the fucking website? I did. I did. Years later. <laughs> years later, after it was like, I was starting to see some other people get uh, some props. I do remember laying there being like, oh, wow. I like, I, I set the, the template for this. Yeah. The, the thing that I was being... Uh, hammered by the guys like David Cross calling me a panderer and like <laughs> low level the way I was meet and greeting with fans online. Like I was like, no, that's that's the enterprise now of what we do. You know, this 100. is a full time, twenty four hour job. It used to be two hours at night, wake up, get your face ready, do your jokes, and then skulk. This is a full time job, and I treated it like a full time job even back then. How did you get the idea? How, what what was the impetus of the idea of getting onto MySpace and and social media the way you did? Like where where did where did the seed start? We were like. I need a fucking website. Right. Um, I think the seed started with, well, first of all, I was a gamer. I was a big, like, you know, Dude, I'm gamer. telling you, man, I, people shit on kids on video games. Yeah. But you and Rogan are my two guys that I know that are big gamers. Yeah. And I like, used to play Quake 3 with Joe. Yeah. Way, way back. That guy was putting an extra 25 grand into technology going into his house so he could have a faster fucking speed time. That's right. But, and Joe, Stanhope, and you were all big proponents of, like, they were blogs at the time, and you were all social media. They were all social media. Right. But it, gaming seems to be the common thread. Well, gaming was the first thing that I realized, oh, this is like a, um, this is like a, a, a community online of people from all over the place. I'm playing with a kid in Tampa. I'm playing with somebody else in, in Montana. I was, I was looking at that like, okay, so I started talking about my comedy while I was you know gaming with these people. Not talking with the mic like today. Yeah. Like typing in the bottom corner like, I'm a comedian. Yeah, I'm coming to Tampa if you want to see my show. So when I saw the kickback from that, I started looking at websites. I found a website that um, the US Army and Lenny Kravitz both had really... Uh, dynamic websites. There's folk, that there's company. folklore stories of you that go around comedy. Twenty five thousand dollars. I take my head off. I got. I nine. ride I got, through the. I'm, I got two. The woods. I got two. I got two folklore stories. I'll tell What's you. What's the first folklore? The first one. Twenty five. Dane Cook paid twenty five grand for his first website. Thirty five thousand dollars. I had forty thousand dollars to my name. Really? Hundred percent honest. Barry tried to talk me out of it. He said, "Why do you need this, buddy? What is the my first manager?" I said, "I said this is it." This is the wave of the future, man. I knew. I knew. I was a big geek. I was into tech. And I knew with the video game stuff. So what did I do? I parlayed that into not only the danecook.com website, but uh, MySpace and uh, Kazaa, LimeWire, Napster. Any place that people were being communicative and collaborative online, I spent all day, every day, for years and years writing everybody back, posting links. Napster. Napster. Napster was the thing that really fucking gave you a huge bump because huge. when I went on there 
for the first time, by the way, I went on probably 2001 is the first time I ever even heard a Napster. Yep. And it was only because of you. I went on. I didn't understand how to get the m music off onto my mm -hmm. listening devices. And I was like, I was having to chat with people to figure out. Like, I had to figure out how to chat with people, then figure out how to. <laughs> and and, and it, you and Mitch Hedberg own Napster. Well, Mitch was another guy that stuff was. Anytime I would upload, I'd see his stuff, and I felt like. Um, the web stuff, it was interesting because Rogan actually was the other guy that had a great website. Rogan Joe was, had yeah. one of the early websites. And people always say, oh, you, uh, Joe was uh, in many ways as, I think he was so busy with his career at that point. Yeah. He had like TV stuff going on that I don't know if he put the same amount of time I was because I was like a cottage industry writing every thousands of people every week. Um, but I used to always look at Joe's and say, this is another guy who gets it. You know, and obviously Joe gets it. He's one of the mo most entrepreneurial comedians and you know moguls of his both you guys are literally lighthouses like just guys doing it their own way doing it before everyone else and following shit that the cool thing is you guys look at things as consumers so like joe i i believe joe looks at his podcast as a fan of shit that interests him right fuck everything else what would i like i want this shit and then right. people gravitate towards it sure you are someone who went how how do I how, how would I find comedy? How would I like you looked at your business as a person buying a ticket? Right. How would I find my favorite comic? How yeah. and I that's I looked um, at it as politics. If I wanted to become elected, you know, comedian of the year, I was gonna try to shake as many hands as possible because I didn't know how long the ride would even last. I was like, I gotta get as much buzz out there now so I can pay my rent for the rest of my life because I wanna <laughs> do this. Yeah. I want a huge career like the Robin Williams of the world and Eddie Murphy's, but there's a few people like that who get to have that opportunity. So for me, it was like, let's just try to parlay this into any kind of, you know, short jeopardy, let alone longevity. Yeah. You know? So you were at the 2001 taping of the Comedy Central special, which I think fuck it was a game changer for you. But you were you saw what happened that my my meltdown turned out to be the the instigator of my what my career would be for the next five years because I was really upset that day of my taping. Do you remember? I remember we went to dinner later that night, but I don't. I remember you ripping your shirt off and pouring the yeah, water on you. I was pissed at Comedy Central. They fucking put me through so much hell that day. I remember you. I remember. I remember so distinctly. You and Brian Regan shot that night. That's right. And and, and I went late. Well, his his was started later. And then they put me on the hot seat because I, they were like, you got to be wrapped up. And they were stressing me out. Yeah. You know, and then I got in an argument with them backstage. And, and basically the executives were like, you're going to put that bowling shirt on. You're going to do 25 minutes. You're going to do it. And it was like all the love and the fun that I experienced, you know, even in the hardest times of my career, this was no good. Yeah. So I went out there. And the first thing, and this didn't end up in on any of the DVDs. I can't find this footage anywhere. They didn't give it to me. The monitor of my set list, I got out there, and I don't know if you remember, I said, you can shut that off. I said, you can shut that off. I'm not doing that fucking set. I'm not doing that set. I said, I'm going to do my set. And they were standing in the wings. I get goosebumps thinking of this because they were, they were like fit to be tied. Yeah. I said, I'm not doing that. And then I looked at the people in the front row. I go, you guys need to pay attention because they had like uh, pretty people in the front for yep. the on camera. Lit. Not Lit. real yeah. people. <laughs> yeah. Fake fans. Yeah. Not even looking at me, looking at where the cameras were. I say, you guys either move or watch me. Yeah. Turn the monitor off. All the water in that. That was basically like me saying, like flipping the bird to Comedy Central, grabbing the camera. Hey, what's up, everybody? They told me, yeah. you don't look at the cameras. Don't touch the camera. 
I grabbed the cameras. I was like, hi, everybody, what's going on? I did everything kind of the anti-establishment that night, basically because I was so riled up. They were going to make me wear this bowling shirt. I was like, I've never worn a bowling shirt on stage ever. You wore they, a tank top. I did. My Black mom My top. mom told me to wear that. Yeah. My mom actually told me. Of all pe people think like, oh, is that a vanity thing? I called my mom. She goes, you should wear a tank top. I go, what? <laughs> she goes, because you always say like Dice looked different in his leather and Steve Martin in his white suit and Eddie Murphy. And my mom reminded me like, hey, if I want to have a unique identity, I should try to look as different instead of the bowling shirt that everybody's wearing. Everybody. <laughs> I had like nine bowling shirts. <laughs> By the way, I think I wore a bowling shirt on my premium blend. Like I wore a fucking bowling shirt. That yeah, you, I think I wore a leather that was like nine times too large. When I look back now, <laughs> you had a you had a chunky uh, silver bracelet. I oh. remember. I remember the leather jacket was so big that remember the scene in Beetlejuice where he's in purgatory with the guy with the little head and the big <laughs> yeah. body. That's basically what I look like in my premium blend. And it was it was it was uh, that that taping was like uh, one of those times where you go, God, I can't believe I was there. And then that changed the game for Everything. you. Yeah, because the the perfect storm was uh, the special, which was supposed to air. Well, first of all, it was supposed to air a couple of times, they told me. And then, of course, they told me after they were so angry that it, it might not air because they were, I went late. I cost them 25 grand in overages because I did an hour instead yeah. of 25 minutes. I told them, I'm going to do an hour. You're going to put this on a DVD. They didn't even know what a DVD was. I was like, this is extra. This is called bonus footage yeah. after the half hour that nobody had any clue i was like am i the only person who understands marketing at this point uh, that back then definitely so that night that that stumbling into uh a, what i would say now is a not professional attitude <laughs> you know today it's like i wouldn't do that yeah i would suss it out and try to figure out how to be collaborative back then i was kind of a punk and i was just like hey you know what if i'm gonna fail i want to fail doing my thing my way you know, I, I wish I knew that earlier in this business, man. Well, dude, it, it you it you knew it when you needed to know it because look what you got now, man. You have, you know what you have? It's like I don't I don't really consider anybody comedy purists. I hate that. It's like comedy has to be this or that. No, 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 no. What I think comedy purism is is somebody that has a belief, has an idea, has a notion, absurdist, political, irreverent, fucking rude, vulgar. Uh, improvisational I don't care yeah. as long as it's something that comes directly from who you are and, and it's part of your constitution yeah you're you're you've built a career on that you got to be very proud of that man it took me a very long time to get even to even a hint I'm not saying I'm entirely like that but a, a hint of that but I a very long time I wanted to play the game I wanted to wear what I thought was right I didn't want to rock the boat I right if someone said you should wear a lav mic and I'd never worn a lav mic I put on a lav mic right and I and I really wish I had it's probably the if anyone's young listening to this fuck everyone yeah. and do it your way yes which which yeah uh, which makes me not to jump way ahead <coughs> but then so what was it like creating creating being the only person responsible you were the only person responsible for your success right you got yourself from that first hotel that first fucking uh whatchamacallit in new york where i think i mean folklore is bill burr drove you back to massachusetts yeah he did <laughs> bill, in his red pickup and bill yeah. doesn't ever want to tell anyone that and he goes because i always felt like everyone blamed me for dane going home but that fucking place sucked he needed a friend Bill, Bill Bill was like my yeah no no I I know that he, somebody had mentioned that recently that like he had an animosity toward that but in truth no it's no like, no Bill Bill has genuine love for you 
But yeah, that, oh yeah, yeah. No, that I know. moment I think Barry, I think Barry blamed. That's Bill. right. Well, some you know, it's that thing too where you know we don't realize very early on in comedy, it's like it's all about ball busting and positioning yeah. and in and chest puffing. Even the managers and the club, but everybody's doing yeah. it. Everybody's in on the hazing. So I think that very early on, I I, I was understanding that like that was a critical moment, and I did need somebody who really um, understood me and cared about me, and, and Burr was that guy. Burr was that guy. You know? So to go from that apart, first apartment in New York, which I guess there were cockroaches, it was a it was fucking bad, terrible. It was a rough yeah. place, yeah. especially at your age. What were you, like 17, 18? I was 16? 19 years old. 19. Yeah. To go from there to uh, Torgasm in the round, right. number one comic in the world, undisputed, first movie... And you've got nothing but notes. Like that's the first time I look at in your career where everything dialed in on you going like, Dane, we want you to open a movie. This is how we do it. And you going, I always wondered about that. Like if you were like, hold on guys, this is how I do business. Right. And this is how I think it would go. Right. Was there, was there some sort of, was it difficult for you to take sit shotgun at that point? I was always pretty good at saying no um, if I wasn't comfortable. No. And, and the reason I was good at it is not because I wanted to stand up to some kind of authoritarian uh, idea. It was because I had a lot of insecurity, man. I was I, I grew up as like a real um, introvert in a in a, a kid who was phobic, and that followed me into my adulthood. I mean, I'm 46 now, and it's like it hasn't been to the last 10 years that that hasn't been something that I understood was like leading me to say no a lot saying no was like sometimes fear-based like I, I don't, I don't want to do that because I'm really? not yeah because I'm not I knew I could always go back stand up I was my that was my comfort zone you know so I knew yeah. I had it I could pay the rent I could pay the bills so it was a it was a fortunate time to be encumbered because I did end up saying no to a lot of horseshit that in retrospect I know would not have been good yeah. not every choice I made was good because what happens is once you once you make it to a certain point your singular um, you know one man show so to speak becomes an industry for everybody else around you to pay their mortgages as well yeah. So now I had a lot of people depending on me and putting a lot of things in front of me that I started to feel like, oh, maybe I have to do that not just for me anymore, but for the team. Did you look at, not to get super, super specific and put a pin in it in case we want to take this out, but did you look at managers and agents buying new houses or new cars as a responsibility onto you? Like I look at my therapist sometimes and I go, yeah, I guess I'm going to have problems as long as you have a mortgage. Like, did you ever look at things like that and go like, like, you were such an industry. I mean, you were creating right. millions and millions and millions of dollars for twenty people. I yeah. remember. I remember. I remember. We had a friend. I remember. We had a. <laughs> I remember. We had a friend who we both worked with at a time. I won't say his name, but we're good, really good, really close friend who did our touring and uh, and and <laughs> I remember him just being like, "Hey, man." This is fucking amazing. Dane's doing the Boston Garden. I just made $300,000. I didn't have to do anything. This is fucking easy. And then we were in Hawaii together. The next day he goes, I got fired. I got, I got fired. I was, do you realize how much money I would have made this year? And I was like, well, yeah, because I think, I think he didn't need you at that point. Right. But like, I always wondered, like, if you looked at everyone going like, you were making hundreds of millions of dollars, not 
you you're generating hundreds of millions of dollars right right no there was a, there was a lot in my orbit i mean not even just like monetary possibilities for from what came from me but just my name being affiliated were with with things that i i really wasn't even firsthand on just people coming and saying this is our forte you, you want to make a hundred grand like you do this we got it you know, it was like there was a moment where I felt like and again, I think it stems back to, hey, you know, what? this is starting to really work. This is getting to a, a level now with arenas and all these big, big opportunities where I'm going, OK, this is this is the career I've always wanted. Now I have to really figure out how to step up and be my own referee in this, which I never really had to do before. You know, yeah. it's like, that's the thing about stand-up. You know, it's a lot of seclusion. It's a lot of, just depends on the spotlight, the mic, and us. And you, when you, you're such a driving force that a lot of people go to you for the answer. Right, and to which, it's funny, now I love being that guy. I feel like I'm a great mentor now because I don't need anything from anybody. I don't have anything to gain from uh, helping or hurting you. So that's the kind of person that I wanted and got around me. Those are the kind of mentors. You yeah. know, I met Jerry Lewis. I met Steve Martin. People that didn't fucking need anything from me. So yeah. when they told me the truth, I was like, this is the real deal. This is the raw news that I've needed. And now I get to be that for other people. You know, people hit me up and they, you know, ask me a legal question. You know, I've been through every legal <laughs> up and down. I've been through every financial up and down. I've been from every, um, you know, rumors up and down. Like, you really have. You really have done it all. It, I wouldn't you've change had it. it. You've had every good and you've had 10 times yeah. bad. Like there, there's, but you know what success is? I tell people when they go, really, what does success mean? Success, when you finally hit that upper echelon, this is really what it is. It's an introduction to everybody that hates you and resents you and doesn't, and isn't into it because there are people that are into it. How do you deal with that? You, you look, you read memoirs, you look at the people that you admire, you learn when they're crest came down the other side and you start to understand that oh really what this career is about i believe one man's opinion is what gives you the staying power is being resilient if you're resilient people respect that more than talent really people respect resilience more than talent there's people out there that are marginally talented but they are fucking resilient. And that's why we love them. And that's why we continue to support them. I'm not going to name names. Bands I know. I know a lot of people that are more resilient than talented. Yeah. For me, I was like, hey, you know what? I, I know I'm a ta There's one thing I'm good at. It's making people laugh. I know I have that. Um, I suck at a lot of other things. <laughs> but I'm going to be as resilient as I can. And my obligation, and I think all of our obligation is, be honest with our fans. Be brutally honest with ourselves. Like, yeah. whole crush levels of, you know, like... You have to be that kind of honest. And when you can do that, I, I believe that that gives you the resilience that people, more than anything, everybody wants to feel resilient, Bert. Yeah. You know? It's my keg. Sorry. Every it's just cooling. <laughs> Thanks for joining in, Krups. <laughs> I think I had a defibrillator in case you had a heart attack or something. <laughs> I wouldn't um, mind one. <laughs> I, do, I do believe that, um, uh, you know, I, I have, I've broken bread with my heroes. I, I've sat, I've talked with people that I, I adore and admire and wanted to emulate. I sat with Steve Martin at the moment that you talked about like me hitting the peak and I remember him giving Tell, me his book I early. Remember, I remember him. I, I mean, this is like, and I always say this, this is my fault, but I, I do believe it's my strength is just the way you and Rogan and my, I, I say, I would argue myself, look at this business as consumers first. I also, and I've always looked at it as a fan first. Like right, I'm right, very, right. I feel very blessed 
to I feel very blessed to know you and be your friend. Same with Joe. Same with uh, Daniel Tosh. Same with all yeah. all these great comics. I know. I feel blessed because I go. Oh, thank God. I know I don't do what they do, but I'm at least I can hang out. You know. But I remember you saying somewhere that I think it was Steve Martin told you a secret that you'll never tell anyone. True. And it, and I but you the. That, so when you talk about the he, Steve Martin he, moment. He did. I still I still haven't talked about what that is. He said something to me at the comic strip in New York City when he surprised me and showed up and watched my... Lauren Michaels was coming to watch that's you. That's right. Yeah, man, dude, trust you know me, more I'm... about my damn life than I even do, man. You're like a historian. Your, your, take <laughs> off, your take off was was inspiring for all of us. Your, that It's nice to feel that now. And I really do feel that now. No one's going to have that. No one's going to ever have... We're not going to see that again. That'll never happen the way that did. Wow. That's that's it's It's... A singular moment in the history of comedy that only you get. Hmm. That's it. I mean, that's, but you don't like. It was a turning point. It, it changed the, it changed the it business, the, man. It was the turning point of, of the way civilization communicates with each other. Mm -hmm. This new, you know, this new thing, the internet, this new way of like getting information and data. But when Steve Martin gave me his book, I could tell you what he wrote me in the book. I tell people sometimes, you know, when he wrote Born Standing Up, and the greatest compliment maybe of my life and somebody who looked at him as somebody, he did Madison Square Garden. He's a guy that I want to, you know, follow. I want to entertain the masses. And he wrote uh, on the inside cover, he said, um, just scratch out my name and replace it with yours and this entire book's about you. Wow. And it was just a beaut. I remember getting really emotional, really yeah. emotional. I was like, my hero believes that I've made it to his equal. You know, and then what's, what's, I mean, I mean, in essence, I mean, if we if we do the math, Steve Martin was doing arenas, yeah, Dice, then Dice, and then you, yeah. I mean, that's, that's the. I mean, now I think arenas are a tad bit more accessible. Um, when I, I say that, but I mean, still, there's only really five people doing it arenas right now. Yeah, I, I think that there's. Um, I think that the comedy world, people have, I think right now, a really insatiable appetite for more than just even comics being funny because I've done a few podcasts. I'm telling you something, man. I've never gotten the kind of reactions off any late night TV show oh, that I'm yeah. getting from well, conversations like you, this. You, you didn't do them. When we all started them, you, were, you did Rogan right. one time. I think you came in and did Rogan. You did the Ice House Chronicles one time. Yeah. I did like a WTF. Yeah, and that was it. I mean, yeah. that you just were, and like I'd hit you up and be like, "Hey, man, if you ever want a podcast," you're like, "Yeah, hey, I'm, I'm busy, uh, maybe." But, it, but so I think people are, I, you know, you're someone who, uh, is it's 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 just like a huge get. It's like a huge people are excited when they see your name on a podcast list. They're like, "Shut the fuck up!" It's cool. And so and so yeah, I mean, and you're like I said, I think for years I might have been a little bit. Um, not as quick to jump on it because I had spent so I had spent probably an unhealthy amount of time online in doing that that decade of grunt work online. Yeah. You know, I loved it, but still, it was a lot of work. And so for me, when it popped and it started becoming like podcasting, I was like, I did. I've just done that for eight years. Yeah. I just did a I did a podcast before it was even called podcasting. I had a, a thing called the jukebox in my on my website. It was called the Voice of Doom which is a term I got from Barry and I would upload rants, you know, MP3 rants. Yeah. And so I was, I was like doing a daily podcast for so long that I think when it caught for me, I didn't really see the forest through the trees at that point. I was like, Oh, I did that. I'm done. Yeah. Not realizing it's going to become something that's actually, 
a critical part of entertainers, you know, getting their messages out there. It's it's an extension of my social media. I mean, yeah. I think I'm a, I'm not a good Twitter guy. My I'm not I've never been a big set up punch guy. My spoken word is much much more direct and clearer than my written word. And that's why Instagram and podcasting has been very easy for me to morph into. Mm -hmm. um, and I, and I, and in all honesty, I, I do it in a selfish way because I don't get to hang out like with two kids and fucking doing everything I can. I can't even hang out at the store this week. Right. And so to get to hang out like this is fucking, yeah, is, is amazing. What, what, what do you think if you could pinpoint just two mistakes you made in your career where you're like, ah, that was a fuck up. That ah, was a big mistake. Like, and then I'll tell you my two that I think you've I made. Think no, I'm kidding. <laughs> I'm joking. You're like, and then I'll tell you my ten. That I think you've made. Um, mistakes. Uh, I think that. Well, I can tell you very honestly. I don't want to get too too deep into it, but I trusted the wrong people. Oh yeah. You know, and that and the mistake there was was not, it just not not to get into that at all, but was it just things were moving so fast? Because because I, I trust. No, I, no, it was that I was literally didn't suss people out the right way that I you know any yeah. grown adult should be responsible to go like let me let me just dot the I's and cross the T's yeah. and I let some people too close that were did a lot of harm yeah. so there was a a moment in my career where it's like I'd hit the peak I knew I was coming down some kind of other side and then I was hit with like all these financial problems because I had bad people in my corner and so mistake number one was almost losing well I did lose everything really people don't know that like I had made what I thought was money for the rest of my life and it was all stolen from me from a bad business manager who also happened to be family. Um, and so that 2010, I was basically a brand new comic again. I had to start over and everything that I'd saved, all the movies, everything was gone. And the only thing that I had left was uh, a few hundred thousand dollars in, in some stocks and I pulled it out and I, I rented those arenas that year of a hundred arenas every month I rented like a handful of arenas basically like you can rent an arena like a hall and that's all I did I rented every arena 75 grand on a Wednesday night it's an off night there's no game and I walk out with the door 250 grand pay my commissions and then the rest of it was was mine and I went this is working so I rented 10 more and then I rented fucking B arenas in like Canada and I was making even more because that cost me 30 grand for a <laughs> Tuesday night shut up yeah that that when I go on stage now this tour, anything that I do, Bert, when I say when I put my hand on my heart and I go, thank you all so much for coming out, it's like they, these people helped save my life. Yeah. These fans, after I was already the hot thing, and now it was my turn was over. It was time for somebody else to be the hot thing. And you to take a year off and travel the world and I did write a book and you go you wake up one day going, fuck. And now I'm like Oh wow, I don't, I'm not safe anymore. In fact, I was the closest I'd ever been to the kid from Arlington who had no money and was on food stamps. It was scary, man. It was really weird. My my story, and it's like I'm not trying to. This might come off wrong, and I hope it doesn't. But like, I was like a rags to riches to rags to riches story. I had yeah. to make it twice in order to feel like I feel today, which is like, okay, I'm safe and I'm protected, and you know, I'm I'm looking okay for the for the future for the. The, the the medium to long term, you know. So when you did that arena tour, you were doing that hundred arenas. You were doing that independently. Yes, you weren't going through Live Nation and AEG. No, I think that it might have jumped on a couple that like they had. Uh, it was like in their contract that they ran, but yeah. for for the most part, those were just me doing it myself and then selling thing. it out with no without spending any money on promotion. No marketing. No. It's all social MySpace. media. One click. Hey, 
you know, Florida, boom, one click. Folklore it, story, folklore dance sto- okay. story. You ready? Yep. I'll tell you another one. Um, I got, I'll, now I have, I, I'm, they keep coming up. Uh, I tell this all the time. It's my favorite story to tell about you. If it's not true, just uh, giggle and say, sure, that happened. <laughs> <laughs> but it's my favorite story ever because it is, there is an independent feeling as a comic when you make it your own way. Yes. When you get yourself there. No, yes. I'm not, I'm not shitting on guys that got on sitcoms and blew up that venue, blew up right. that way. But when you did the work, you walked into a meeting and you were trying to sell yourself to someone and they didn't get it. They don't, I don't know, what do you mean? I'm not going to be pretty big social media presence. I, I don't really see that as a social media presence. Let me show you something. Open a cute computer and you put online. In guys, the meeting. In yeah. the, yes. Tell the rest of the story. Then. It's true. It's 100% Fucking true. Everybody, this is my favorite, one of my favorite Dane Cook stories. So it was, uh, at, the, at the time, um, Instant Messenger was like the big thing. It was like the version of text now, AOL Instant Messenger. Mm-hmm. And I had what I knew is hundreds of thousands of people that had followed me on there because for years now I'd been talking to everybody and yeah. giving a re- So in the meeting, this, I remember looking over in this um, high ranking executive at the place. He didn't know me. He, he was in there, obli- you know, looking at his watch and I could tell, I was like, oh, this, I'm not getting any deal from these guys because they don't, you know, comedy bottom of the totem pole. Who is he? And I said, I go, Hey, uh, can I use your computer over here? Can I show you something real quick? Yeah. I said, cause I, I don't think you understand what's happening out there right now. I said, I may, may not be on like late night talk shows or, or, um, uh, Saturday night live cast member. I go, but something bigger is happening. Okay. I said, can I use your computer? I go on, I download the AOL instant messenger. I logged in. I go now wait. And it was like five, four, three, two, one, bring, bring. Bring a few instant messages. Bring, hey Dane. Bring, what's up, man? Bring, are you gonna be playing Quake later? Bring, what's going on? Bring, I saw the Comedy Central. Bring, 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 bring. Freezes the computer. Thousands and th- within minutes. That's how tapped in and connected I was with my fans. I got a deal in the room that day. In the room. Love that story. Signed, sealed, and delivered. They were like, "We're gonna give you a bunch of money to." you know sit around and pretty much do nothing <laughs> but go do your shows at night and maybe try to develop something I it was yeah man story. I it was love such that an story. unbelievable gratifying moment you know like to be like oh, i'm doing it on my own laurels oh i fucking love that story yeah 100 percent true exactly how it happened so when did you get to take a break like when when you were you do the arena the second 100 arenas yeah did when did you i want to find out how you got to where you are now because yeah. You are in a place that I, I think I, I strive for. I'm, I'm not, I'm, but I'm not. I don't know if I'm ever going to get there. But like, you're in a place. It seems to me from, and it's just really online of watching. Is that you have a really close group of friends, uh, a great girlfriend, and you you tour, but you live life. You're you're present in a, in a different life than comedy, which is not who you were younger. You were at the club every fucking night, constant. Uh, yeah, yeah. You had a girlfriend, but that. That ran side, side chick 100%. to your career. Yes. And now it yeah. seems like your career is side chick to your life. Well, it, there's a balance that like I had strived for and maybe ob- obviously, you know, growing up as a comedian, as a young man in comedy, all the perks that go with that for years of, you know, girls and the attention. And, and then suddenly you're in your mid thirties going, oh wait, I, I don't, I don't party. It's really not my thing. So I started looking for something that was more serious. It took me a long time, man, to get to a place where my my comedy and my personal life finally were balanced and and really enhancing each other. 
like I'm enjoying my personal life because of the success that I've had in this longevity now that I've created. Um, getting to a point in my life before this tour, especially the last three years, where I could say a word I always wanted to say about myself. I'm seasoned. I'm seasoned. You were seasoned like I, 10 years ago. No, 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 no. What's amazing is I look back at 10 years ago, and I could tell you what I was still lacking, and you know what it was that I have now? What? Introspection. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I'm so much more introspective now. And if you see my new show, what I didn't want to have happen is, hey, I'm introspective, but it's going to be like maudlin and not as high caliber funny. I wanted the LPMs. Yeah. So I finally got to a place where I can use all the stuff that people have seen before. Those yeah. are all still organic. But now I can be observational and introspective. I talk about how things hurt and, and have thrown me off my game. I can own all my defeats because they led to victories. That's a that's an yeah. entirely different pedigree that I love to bring to the stage at this point. So it's I'm having more fun than even 10 years ago on those tours. I always liked the the size venue you're playing right now personally, I believe is the perfect size venue for comedy. Oh man, it's great. I mean, what's what's an what's an arena like? Like what's that yeah, so I like, mean, walk me through because because someone said to me, I talked to I was talking to Josh Wolf. Have you ever like, done what's the largest? Have you done a, an arena? Have you the Chicago Theater is the biggest I've ever done. I just came from there. I know. I just God, saw the pictures. It was fucking so beautiful. Oh, yeah, best. it was uh, fucking great. Best. Yeah, uh, these are these are the greatest rooms. It's the greatest size rooms is well, I, you know, I think the Wilbur's an amazing size room. Uh, the laughs you get, but that's Boston. So a twelve hundred seater in Boston is the equivalent to a 29, 3900 seater anywhere else sure. because Boston's so fucking aggressive. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What was what's what's an arena like? And I say like walk me through like beginning to end because I was talking to Josh Wolf about theaters and I was saying, "Oh, I fucking love it. I love having a tour bus. I love being outside the venue, knock on the door. Uh, he's got 3 minutes left and you just walk yeah, off yeah. the tour bus and you literally walk, you there's a Tito's and soda waiting, you grab it, you walk on stage." Fucking amazing show back on the tour bus. And he was right. like, whoa, what's an arena like? Like, you have to do a sound check, I'm assuming. You have to be right. there early. I'm, I'm sure, I, feel, I would imagine it feels sterile. I don't know anything about arenas. Well, okay, so what I did was, the thing that was, was cool and that made it not sterile was I hired a tour manager. This is Now, this is back during like that whole run of arenas. His name is Al Dotley. And he toured Zeppelin. He toured Elvis. He toured Ozzy. He toured everybody I love growing up. So I had somebody who was helping to create my my set. I wanted it to look like a boxing ring as an homage to my dad, who was yeah. a boxer. So that whole in the round look was actually yeah. thinking about my dad being in the boxing ring. I'm going to be in a circle. My dad was in the boxing ring. And Al Dotley helped me to make that. And then hanging out with him and getting that experience of like, how did these other guys build their careers to that level? You were there with them. He was with Elvis. He was with all these guys. So I felt like I was a student of even the 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 lineage of what touring meant and stuff for like large scale you know he'd done carlin he'd done like guys that you know took it to that upper upper level so i was learning i was excited i was learning about directing myself i was because i wanted to become a director just in 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 entertainment and telling stories so i was getting this other perspective of how do you make what's happening on stage interesting so that I can help other artists someday. You know, I'm starting to direct. I want to direct other people's comedy specials or other bands, uh, you know, uh, content. So I was learning that. But then what was happening was an arena show is an event. It's an event. It's a different beast than just a, th a theater. 
because a theater is essentially a big club if it's yeah, built right. Yeah, yeah. Right? You know, we ha- we we feel like we have some kind of prowess in in control over the theater. An arena, you lose some of that because if person sitting in section Z up on the third tier balcony and they're having a few pops, if you're not keeping their undivided attention, you're in some trouble, man, because boredom makes people say and do weird shit. If you start like zoning out and looking somewhere else during a comedy show and you're throwing a few back, you're going to hear it. Yeah. So the moment you meet the stage at those large scale shows, it's through your entire body. You're emitting a feeling of, hey, I got all of this. I got all of you. You're all close to me. And I would look up at that balcony. I couldn't see. I could see silhouettes, but I would look up at that balcony like I was fucking looking right into you. If I heard somebody go, woo, too long, I'd, I, you'd look, I'd point up. I'd be like, yeah, that's right. I heard that because I wanted to keep everybody wrangled. Like, I got it. I you were the it. first person I, I, to this day, and I swear on my children when I say this, I look at balconies because I never saw anyone look at a balcony. I never seen a balcony before. <laughs> before I went and saw you at the Laugh Factory and you used to work the balcony in the Laugh Factory. Right. It was very natural to you. And I never, when I did the Laugh Factory, I looked straight ahead. Right. I played to the people I could see and I was like, oh yeah, they're up here too. Yeah. So, you know why I did that? Why? Because I have the same uh, deep set eyes and like whatever this, you know, Cro-Magnon for, and so I get shadow. Yeah. So for me, it was a way to keep the spotlight on me and see my <laughs> facial expressions. Because if I keep my head down, I started looking like fucking Frankenstein or something like that. To it this, wasn't good a good thing for me to be just looking down at the very front. To this day, when I, I will catch myself, like I was at the Tampa Theater, I think it's got three levels the other day, and I was looking up. And I yeah. and every time I do, I think of you looking. I go because it's not natural to me. I not to. Sure. I, it's just a natural to me is like to be talking. Right. But to look up and play the room, I always think of you. Yeah. And I was in the sands in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania, and I hadn't done a pre. I hadn't done a, a sound check. I didn't know the room, and when I got on, I never performed with a spotlight before, and it really oh, threw wow. me off. Yeah. And so you can't see if you're on a spotlight, you can't see anything, and. But all I well, you see, should be able to see, but you they probably had it on the highest setting. You yeah. were in a high beam at that point. And I could see a little bit of a balcony to the right. Yeah. So I played to them a little bit. And then I played to, the obviously, the balcony on the left. And then I got done the show, and I go to say goodbye to the staff or whatever. I go on the stage and find there's no balcony on the left. <laughs> <laughs> You're just looking up into the rafters. <laughs> the whole time, everyone must have been like, what the fuck? <laughs> what the fuck is he doing? I love it. Second biggest mistake in your career. As most of you guys know, I deal with anxiety and sleep anxiety primarily. We have a thing in our house called unassisted sleeps. My daughters know I struggle with sleep and they introduced me into an app called Calm. I ran into the makers of this app, the people that represent Calm at the podcasting upfronts and I said, please let me have you as a sponsor on my podcast because I use you all the time and both my daughters use you to fall asleep. If you have a hard time falling asleep, if you're filled with stress and anxiety, it's probably affecting your overall health. That is why we're partnering with Calm, the number one app to help you reduce your anxiety and stress and help you sleep better. More than 40 million people around the world have downloaded it. All you have to do is go to calm.com slash Bert and you'll get 25% 
off a Calm premium subscription, which includes guided meditations on issues like anxiety, stress, and focus, including a brand new meditation every day. There's also sleep stories, which are bedtime stories for adults that are designed to help you relax, and they fucking work. They do? I swear to God, when I go to nap in the middle of the day and I can't shut my brain off, I use these. What are the stories like? Baby, they're all over the... Are they like... Someone eats donuts and doesn't gain any weight. No, you head to a magical field in the south of France. What? With Stephen Fry or explore the moonlit jungles of Wait, Africa. Wait, who's Stephen Fry? With Leona Lewis. Leanne, you got to get the app. Who's Leona Lewis? They even have oh, soothing the singer. They even have soothing music and a lot more right now. Oh. Burtcast listeners get 25% off a Calm premium subscription at calm.com slash Burt. That's C-A-L-M dot com slash Burt. Get unlimited access to all of Calm's content today at calm.com slash Burt. And this will also work with your kids if your kids having a hard time going to sleep. Well, that's how why we got it. That's why we got it. And yeah. it works for adults even better. I didn't know they had bedtime stories for grown-ups. That's kind of brilliant. This month, ButcherBox is offering finely ground beef that's clean and delicious and is taken from the most flavorful section of the animal. The beef consists of trimmings from the sirloin and chuck, which makes it so versatile it cooks fast, so it's perfect for quick weeknight dinners. Right now, new members will get two pounds of this delicious ground beef for every box for the life of your subscription. This is ButcherBox's most popular offer last year, and they're bringing it back for a limited time offer. How does ButcherBox work? You curate boxes, including the mixes of the highest quality beef, chicken, and pork. I absolutely love ButcherBox. Here's how it works. You can choose from curated boxes, including a mix of high quality beef, chicken, or pork, or you can customize your own box. Meat is frozen at the peak of its freshness in individual vacuum-packed, biodegradable packaging. All meat is delivered right to your doorstep. And then you, like myself, have a refrigerator full of high-quality, healthy protein you can trust. 100% grass-fed and finished, free-range organic chicken, heritage breed pork. That is that old word pork. It tastes the way pork should taste. I just had four pork chops the other night with the girls, and it's awesome to give your kids food that you know is antibiotic and hormone-free. Cook with a peace of mind knowing that you're feeding your family healthy, high-quality meat, incredibly convenient, and you will taste the difference. I'm telling you right now, I absolutely love Butcher Box. I love having them in my freezer. Our freezer is packed to it, and I find myself getting addicted going back to the website and checking to say, you know what, we don't have enough pork chops for if people come over, or we don't have enough chicken. I'm telling you, their chicken is phenomenal. It's really good. And you know what's cool is it's not just three pounds of chicken. It's 2.97. They tell you exactly what you get. All in these vacuum-sealed packages that you literally can just throw in your sink, defrost in the afternoon, have for dinner. I absolutely love it. For $20 off your first box and two pounds of free ground beef in every box for the life of your subscription, go to butcherbox.com slash Burt or enter the promo code Burt. That's butcherbox.com slash Burt or enter the promo code Burt. Second biggest mistake. Well, I, I, I put this as a mistake that ended up turning out to be something of good fortune, but later is uh, 96. I was still in uh, New York coming back and forth. Yeah. And um, Saturday Night Live, it was the year uh, Sandler left. 
Yeah. And they wanted me. They had called up my team and said, we need a young, white, energetic guy who plays guitar, which I did too, to replace the the Sandler, which was going to be a big, big loss for them. And I went to... Uh, I was still dealing with a lot of um, anxiety at that point. Like That's one of the things I think no one really knows about you, but I know about yeah. you, is that as gregarious and extroverted as you may seem on stage, sure. you really are like just a very regular person, if not introverted. Yeah, still, still more, I mean, I'm not as much an introvert as at that time, um, but I, I had a lot of fear, man. That's all I can say is like, I still had a lot of fear in me. A lot of things were driven in the onstage persona was who I wanted to be. I wanted to be that guy that had the answers and the timing and was cool. And because I didn't feel the moment my foot stepped into reality off the stage, I didn't feel like any of that stuff. Yeah. None of it. It took me many, many years to finally realize, wait, no, I am the guy. I'm the guy on stage. <laughs> That's me. I need to be him everywhere. It took like 15 <laughs> years to go. I've been playing the part of me yeah. more than I'm actually being yeah. in my life. So it was like 96, they wanted me to come in and I went to Rockefeller Plaza and I had an anxiety attack outside. Not a full fledged like hands frozen and you know, 17 minutes of rubbing your own legs and yeah. breathing. Like I, I was having a, a, a pretty hardcore anxiety attack. I remember I had these Ray-Ban sunglasses on and I sat on a bench outside of Rockefeller Plaza. I started to cry, tears streaming. I was looking up at the building I went to a payphone, no cell phones, uh, I don't think at this time, yeah, or I didn't nope. have one. Went to a payphone and I called and said, uh, I'm not going in. I'm not going in for the audition. I can't. I can't. And my throat's closing. I, I had so much fear and anxiety. And also, I knew people that were on the show and I knew that the politics of what it was behind the scenes was, was like a pirate ship. Yeah. That's not an easy, none of this is easy, this industry. It is cutthroat, it's hard, it's yeah. competitive. But that spot, even more so to get on camera. I didn't have that fight. I had no spine at that time. I had the, what looked like it from on stage. And so I didn't go. And I ended up back on the road and like, you know, two years later, kind of languishing out there and with a toothache uh, root canal, I couldn't even afford to get fixed and saying to my family, like, I messed up. I think I messed up. I think I just missed this great, great opportunity to pause. Fallon got it. And of course he was awesome on it, but I looked and was like, I, I, I could do that. I mean, those are parts I could play and yeah. I'm, I'm in that, that, you know, realm I, of whatever. I it was. find myself hysterical. I could laugh at myself. I, I, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I like to break during every skit. I can barely um, get through a scene acting. I could do this. So it, it was like, it, it always, um, it kind of haunted me for a lot of years until things started to, turn into my own career and incarnation and that's when i realized oh wow i i'm i'm gonna get to saturday night live but it's gonna be in a different way you what's know? it like hosting saturday night live the greatest you you murdered that oh man thank you, you murdered the that the, um, the did you host it once twice that's the first time the first yeah. time i watched i've watched the first one live i remember watching it live i think i was at a comedy club yeah and they had it on they were like hey dane's doing yeah. saturday night live and i was like oh it was amazing season closer and then i think I, I think i'm the only person to ever do the an episode two episodes later because Carell opened the next season and then i came back for the second week so i was you were great in that movie with Carell, by the way, too. Oh, thank. Yeah, that was a that what was, was your favorite experience. movie you've done. Mr. Brooks was definitely. Dude, you fucking murdered that. Yeah. I was on a plane watching that on a plane. Yeah, and I was like, motherfucker, 
you did was you did you invested in your own short film Spiral that you shot with Jeff Nichols, I think, which got me the movie, the movie in, that you in Hong Kong. that you and I talked yeah, to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, I went man. to the premiere of Spiral. That's right. It was was that the Roosevelt? I forget. It was. I like, want to say it was on the Sony lot. Oh man, it was, some, it was. It was on like I think it was on a lot because I don't know if you remember this, but um, Bender from uh, from. Nope, no, uh, no, that's John DiMaggio. Uh, Bender from Bender, Breakfast Club? Bender from Breakfast Club. Uh, Judd uh, Nelson? Was that your screening for it? Oh, man. I was sitting like two rows behind Judd oh, Nelson, shit. and he had a broken arm. <laughs> I remember that. I remember he was like, I was like, how does, I, I brought a bunch of chicks that Why all is really Bender partied. Bender short film? And I was like, I was like, I remember, I remember two things. I went to it, I went to the, the screening you had, and... I told the girls I was with, this guy's fucking hilarious. You're going to love this. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> and it's this a- is not a funny movie. <laughs> and it's like they, a graphic rape scene. Started, in yeah, it. there's a graphic rape. There's, and they were fake laughing at the beginning. And everyone's like, everyone like, what the fuck are you doing? And they're like, come on. They're like, he's not that funny in it. And I go, I don't think this is a comedy. Yeah. Yeah. And we had gotten the furthest thing from. We got gotten buzzed before we walked in thinking we were going to laugh. And, yeah, uh, yeah. and then they were like, that was not funny oh, at all. That was the ultimate buzzkill. <laughs> But then someone said, uh, I forget that. What's that? Judd Nelson. They go, I go, Judd Nelson broke his wrist. And one of the girls I was with, she was like, he does a lot of coke. And I was like, oh, okay. That makes fun. That makes sense. You don't see grown men with broken bones often. <laughs> so. You don't. No, 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 no. I remember Pablo Francisco broke his leg. And I was like, how did he break his leg? He, they were like, he was in a limo. And I was like, huh? <laughs> I ran into Pablo the other day at the airport. He looks he's, like he's doing good. Oh, good, he's man. Doing, he's yeah. a funny cat. Yeah, you, funny dude. There was a there was a group uh, at that time that partied and didn't party. Why had you never? What was it that never? Um, grew up with uh, you never have you ever had, have you ever have you ever had alcohol? No, never even had it. I've never had a sip of alcohol or done a drug ever. What's it like? I don't know because I don't know the uh, you know the alternative. I don't know like oh, I can't. It's awesome. I know <laughs> everybody tells so me I'm, awesome. I'm missing out. Um, I think that growing up with a dad that drank and I saw, you know, not to get, I don't want to get too like, you know, heavy with it, but like, you know, I, I just saw a brilliant guy kind of get in his own way a lot. And I knew that ran in my family. Yeah. Um, I'd seen it with other relatives. And I just kind of thought, you know what, maybe I can make something more of myself. Like they're all very smart guys and yeah. there's a lot of real tenacity, but it, that tenacity worked against them once they started, you know, you know, getting sozzled. Uh, too often, um, I just decided it wasn't something I was interested in right away. I didn't honestly say I'm not going to drink or do drugs for the rest of my life. I never. I'm 46. I kind of can't believe I've never tried anything either, but I haven't really. Does your yeah. chick drink? Um, she has drank. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's not. It's not something you like. What do you do at the end? How do you end a day? <laughs> <laughs> I get in bed. Shut up. <laughs> Like one of these sociopaths who close sleep. their fucking eyes. <laughs> My wife does that. Like a fucking Mormon. Just, oh, I'm done thinking. Clunk. I just love to work, man. I like to get home. I mean, for me, an unwinding night is I still do some video game stuff. Do you really? Yeah, it's kind of like for me, gaming is not 
I'm competitive, but it's like I it's like meditation. Do you do do you do like online community gaming still? Like yeah. talking shit to people and uh, not really. I'll do like team based with guys I know. Yeah. But yeah, no I'm not I'm not in like Twitch and you know, yammering with other That's how know. everyone makes millions of dollars these days, I, I guess. It's very lucrative. I mean, honestly, it's like, yeah, I could definitely understand why people would do that and I think it's a great place to build your fan base out, whatever you're doing. But yeah, no, I I tend to just it's more for me. You know, I just What games do you play? Uh, PUBG, uh, Player Unknown Battleground. It's like it's like a battle royale game. You're you're playing with three guys and you have to beat everybody else that's online. There's it's 100 like a hundred people. Single shooter. Single shooter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 I, I get I get my vision gets fucked up and I get dizzy. We come over and play at my house, Bert. Really? Yeah, I threw that shit on a movie screen. <laughs> yeah, I built I built a room for gaming. Shut the fuck yeah. up. It's a two hundred. If it's like the size of this whole, this is small. Your TV. Oh and, come on! And I and I and I project That's the biggest one they had at Costco. <laughs> I four K projected it up there. So now when I'm gaming, people go like, "Man, how'd you make that sniper shot?" It's like because I'm playing on a screen the size of my fucking wall. Shut. Yeah. Oh yeah. Fuck. Same thing because it's like if I play on a small screen, my eyes I'm like constantly trying to like. <laughs> Dude, I am I am I am we on get on my phone constantly. Yeah, yeah. And my eyes are fucking shot. What time do you got to get out of here? Yeah. I'm good. Okay. Good. Good. Yeah, good, yeah. good. No. Good. No rush at all. All right. Nice. Um. Yeah. What was it like spending money, like legit spending money? Your first house, I'm going yeah. to ballpark it. Six million dollars? Mm, in and about. Yeah. yeah. What was it like sp- buying, spending six million dollars? First first thing that I ever bought was my mama house many, really? many years earlier. Yeah. Tell me about your mom. Yeah. Oh, the greatest, man. Seems like you and your mom were very oh. similar, right? Thanks for asking because not a lot of people actually really ask. You know, you always talk about your dads. It's always yeah. like guys talk. My mom was my champion. My mom was like a funny woman very physical, very committed to her joke when she would make a joke or whatever, you know, do something in public that was going to be embarrassing, but she'd get a laugh with it. Yeah. She was kind of the first person I saw put herself out there um, in, a, in a like a spectacle kind of way. Um, and the first person to ever tell me that I was more than what I thought I was. You know, I was a self-loathing introvert who felt ugly, had a lot of acne, didn't have any friends. You know, um, and she was the one who in vicious circle when I'm doing the voice of my mom going, they're just jealous of you, honey. You have everything in front of you. You're that's my mom. She would she would literally pet me up and she would tell me all the things that I was going to do in comedy before I even did them. Really? She would tell me I'd see dice. You know, I love dice. I'd watch dice. She said oh, very casual, you know, like cavalier. You're going to do that, honey. You're going to do. Oh, that'll be you. You'll do that. Really? You'll do that. Real, like, not even like, I'm going to just keep saying it until you believe it. You'll do that. You're going to be on there. Yeah. You'll, you'll meet him someday. It's so funny. I've been talking with Dice. We've been, we've been I talking. Saw, I saw we online. Some, we're we're working he, on some. He said, he said something really sweet about you. We're, we're, Dice and I have a, we're talking. The only compliment I ever got from Dice was, I, and it was a third hand. I never got it directly. Was, uh, I don't, I guess he saw, he was at a club or whatever and they were playing the videos and I'm shirtless. And he comes out and he just goes, he's got no shirt on. <laughs> and they're like, yeah, he doesn't form any shirt on. And he just goes, he's got no fucking shirt on. He's got no shirt. And he just started laughing. He's got no shirt on. And then yeah. he watched the machine story and he was like, oh, he's, he's a good comic. He's yeah. got no shirt on. He's got no shirt on. He could like, I just, and they were like, he loved it. Now it was like the greatest compliment because Dice, all of us, Dice yeah. was oh, our heroes. Yeah. I mean, HBO specials and all that Kinnison and watching all those guys. But he was your mom into comedy. She loved comedy. She loved comedy, but she also was like, um, 
She was also pretty fickle. She 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 had she could have been like a booker. My mom knew my mom <laughs> been a booker. My mom would go to the club, ready? And she'd go like this. I remember being on a show one night with uh Patrice O'Neill, Burr, um, Gary Gallman, and maybe like four or five other guys. After yeah. the show, I go, Okay, mom, you saw all of us. What's your prognosis? And she said, She goes, Patrice is gonna be one of the biggest comics once he figures out A, B, and C. She said, Burr's gonna make it. He's very funny. And she said, and Gary Goldman is one of the smartest guys. He's going to make it. She goes, everybody else on this show, they should just go home. <laughs> She's like, they're not interesting. I didn't even remember them. She remembered their names. Yeah. And she called on those three guys and, and basically like put her Donna magic wand on them to say like, you're going to go far. She had a good eye. What a great yeah. group to start with. My graduating class, Robert Kelly. I mean, Robert we, Kelly, you, know, you Burr, Goldman. Uh, Bob Marley. I know Bob Marley. Not a lot of people know Bob. Man, everyone should. That guy is yeah. fucking. He. When I think of that, for, when I first moved out here, the rotating cast at the at the Laugh Factory was you, Harlan, Bob Marley. That's right. Um, That's right. Uh, Nick Swartzman would get up every now and then, but he was he was way like he was younger. He was he was like the class behind mine. And so you guys all started in Boston. Yeah. We used to all go to Bennigan's after the show at Nick's downtown and just... For real? Yeah. Sit around, all of us. It was kind of wild to think back now and go like, man, I, I'd give anything to have that whole group of guys back together sitting around that table again, you know? Dude, I think about Patrice. Young, young I think punks. about Patrice a lot. Patrice was... Uh, when, when... Did you have a good rapport with him? Everybody has a yeah. very different kind of Patrice um, r reaction. And uh, mine was obviously like... He's in my heart, you know. Sure. I've got his. I've got his hat. His mom, after he passed, gave me his favorite Boston, the leather Boston hat. It's it, first thing I see in my office. Patrice was very pivotal, pivotal to me because I was working the door at the Boston Comedy Club. Patrice wasn't technically passed at the cellar, uh, and so he would uh, just hang out in front of the Boston with with Voss and Bobby and Norton. Yeah, and um, in front of the fire station there, and just yep, talk shit. yeah, and just bullshit. And so then we all did Scotland together. Me, Patrice, and Voss. Yep. I came out to LA. I did a set at the Laugh Factory um, and got a deal. Uh, and like got it was a it was like a big set. I got a deal. I didn't get a deal then, but like they said, you were going to get a deal. Sure. Going to get meetings, but I had to go to Scotland first. And in okay. Scotland, I called and they're like, "Yo, uh, CBS wants to offer you a deal." Uh. Uh, you know the way Barry used to do it. They'd offer you a deal for one twenty. Barry goes, "They're at sixty right now. I think I can get them to one twenty." <laughs> That's great. And so, and so I got a deal. How exciting was that? Oh, it was a great. It was like I got you're a deal. You're doing the, comedy in Scotland, and you're going to get a deal, so you get home and you. Oh man! But the, but the the uh, the 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 ebb to that flow, the the valley to that peak, was that I was getting a deal in front of Patrice, hmm. and so Patrice and I were there every day. We had breakfast together. If also go play golf, me and Patrice would fuck around all day. Go do our spots. He would stay out because he wanted to bullshit. Yeah. I'd drink. Voss would go home. Right. And I got a deal in front of Patrice. I got the phone call, got a deal, oh, wow. and got a TV show. And I told, I shared the good news with Patrice, <laughs> which was like, if you if you knew Patrice, you're like, yeah. you didn't want to share good news with Patrice. <laughs> and I had had a deal a year before with Will Smith. Do you remember what he had said uh, when you told him? I remember 100%. <laughs> His He's first like, words were, I feel bad for you. Oh, my God. <laughs> He was eating. He was eating uh, eggs over easy with blood sausage. Oh god! And he was like, "I feel with ketchup all over it." Yeah. So I feel bad for you, Bert. And I said, "Why?" I go, "Patrice, this is what we want in this business." Yeah. He goes, "No, what we want in this business is a career. 
What we don't want is just to get shot up real quick and then have it all taken away. He goes, let me, he goes, let me tell you something. And I don't mean this from a shitty position. By the way, this is some of the most lasting advice I've yeah. ever held. I've, I've put a pin. I've put my, hung my hat on this advice. Okay. He goes, uh, you're going to go to Hollywood. You're going to make some money. You're going to get on TV. You have a deal. Maybe that'll go somewhere. Maybe it will. But at the end of the day, when it all goes away, you still won't know how to do stand up. You've only been doing it a year, a year and six months. And he goes, uh, I may not have all those deals, but I can do stand-up. See, my, my, my foundation is here. Yep, right. Your foundation's all the way here. So you may go all the way up here, but when you fall, you got to go all the way back to the bottom. Right. And I remember thinking at the time, he doesn't know what he's fucking talking about. I was, thought it was fame-based. I thought stand-up was about fame. The more famous you were, the better you were. Right. I didn't realize right. it was about talent. Right. And so uh, I, I go up here. I move out to <laughs> L.A. I start working. Everything goes away, and I fall all the way back to the bottom, and I am now hosting at the Hollywood Improv. Uh, hosting, I'm, I, I had been, t I had tons of money. I'd been on TV, yeah. I and I was now hosting again at the Hollywood Improv, mm. and I, w I couldn't get spots anywhere, and Patrice came out, and Bobby was living out here at the time, yeah. and Patrice came out, and Patrice was like, uh, very compassionate to me. Mm -hmm. He was like, uh, he had just done a Showtime special, the 30-minute Showtime mm -hmm. him and Goldman did, and he was so like, good. He was like, I'm glad to see you building your foundation. And yeah. I was like, oh, thanks. And he was like, he was like, that's it's all you got to do. Just keep building your foundation. I literally took that advice and said, here's what I, because getting everything taken away from you when you don't have a ton of talent, to, so to speak, to back it is terrifying. Because what you're, what you're, what you're laying in bed for is hoping for someone to make another mistake, to make another, I need to be lucky again. I'm the luckiest guy in the world. And I worked on stand-up for, that's all I fucking worked on for, for I, maybe like six years straight. It was sets every chance I got up, sets on the road as much as I could. And when I got to a place where my foundation was here, Patrice was, I mean, I, I think I got on track, but I was, I was headlining and I was like, oh, I'm ready. And I was like, that, that's the best advice. And now it's like right now where I am. It's like you can't. My foundation was taken away when Travel Channel fired me. My 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 career was taken away when they fired me. But my foundation was so close to where they had me right. that I didn't fall. I right. just went. Time to keep moving forward. Yes, it was the greatest advice. And and I and you know it's like I I want to say that if you really loved Patrice, you knew you knew his eccentricities, his mm. flaws as well as you knew him. Right. Um. But I I love that he, guy. He was a he was a uh, truth reveler. Oh. He reveled. He loved to be brutally honest. Yeah, and he what he would do, which I thought was so. Um, I mean, he did a lot of stuff. Very. I felt like he early on was one of the. Him and Chappelle are the two best comedians that I ever saw. Like at what you would consider their formative years, already like looking like pros and already yeah. coming across like some next level shit. Um, but P Patrice would he would he would like um, dip out for a little bit, and I. I'd say to him at, uh, in Boston, I'd be like, where you been the last month? And he'd go, um, yeah, I just didn't have anything funny to say, man. He'd just stop. He'd stop. Yeah. You and I, we might be like, oh, I'm going to work that thing I did last night tonight again and try to... He was all about like, if he wasn't feeling like he wanted to talk about something, he didn't need the stage or that vanity or whatever comes with that. Yeah. He just needed a place to be honest where it's unadulterated, you know? And I watched him do that for years in Boston. And by the way, he he gave me the advice that changed my whole career which was I was not I was not doing comedy at the very beginning from maybe all the organic places inside of me I was I was more like showman and less of like real solid ideas and and, and 
coming from a perspective. And he said to me at the back of Nick's comedy stop one night, he was sitting there and he was, he was shaking his head. I walked off stage. I knew my set was lackluster. <laughs> he was already shaking his head. Yeah, he was a, sitting in the so, chair. He was the whole chair. <laughs> he was shaking his head. And he said, he go, and he reached out and he hit me. And he goes, he goes, man, he goes, you can't fuck with the truth, man. Be the truth. Be the truth. Whatever your truth is, whatever this hogwash is, man, bullshit. Like he just poo-pooed on it. And he was like, be the truth. And I started watching him and realizing like, what that really means is not like go up there and have to be like, I'm going to unveil <laughs> society. No, no. It means like whatever it is that, that you're interested in, that makes you laugh, that you, that you feel is compelling. You need to be talking about that. Yeah. Even if it's totally different from the rest of the show and you're going to probably be the outcast because it didn't match up with the tone of a show. You need to be that. Yeah. You need to bring a show to a grinding halt possibly because that's, where you're coming from. You're coming at a, at a, as a person who wants to stop the establishment and go, what the fuck? What do you do? He was doing all that like 1993. It was amazing, man. Just he, coming up with that. He, he, I remember we, right before we went to Scotland, we had to do a showcase to get the show. Yeah. So we had to do a video to send to Scotland for them to approve it. And I had a set list. I had like 12 jokes written down yeah. on a piece of paper. And I had like a crib, like a cheap sheet. Yeah. And I had it. I was, I put it, we did two shows. We taped two shows and I put it on the stool for the first show and I ran through my set list <laughs> and it was just, I did really bad. So then <laughs> I go, by the way, I'd only been doing comedy legit, maybe a year and six months. Oh. And so I go back and, uh, and I'm, we're getting ready to do the second show yeah. and I'm looking at the list. I'm like, look forward to the list. And Patrice goes, let me see that. And I go, okay. Oh, no. And he just picks it up and he tears it. Oh, goes, my God. You're not that comic. And I went, what? And he goes, you are not the comic that, like some alt comic with a notebook. He goes, <laughs> just tell the jokes. You know them. Yeah. And I was like, I just went up and then I did what I do now where you just, you go, I don't really know what's going to go next, but I, yeah. I can figure it out in, right. the, in the moment. And it's a little more organic. That and one time I bombed so hard i used to have this thing i still do it every now and then i'll do a little prayer before i go on stage just to kind of center myself but i did it in the back of the boston comedy club i did a little prayer and i bombed so hard and i got off stage patrice is laughing hysterically drinking a shirley temple and he goes <laughs> you prayed to god for that shit <laughs> I go. and he goes man and god's what you god gave you huh oh. that makes me beep you should take that necklace off and burn it Oh my God! I miss How him. Great. Hey, yeah. did, you, did you go to his funeral? I did. I didn't. Here's why I didn't. I found out he died. I was at Rusty's, uh, the pet supplies, uh, when I found out he died, and I was with my wife. We drove home. I was I was totally cool. Frosty called me and told me he passed. Yeah. I got in my driveway and I started crying, and I felt silly that I was crying. And my wife goes, uh, "You should go to his funeral." And I go, "No." She goes, "Why?" I go, "Cause Patrice wouldn't go to mine." He would go, I'm not spending 900 bucks to go to Burt's funeral. And he, and if I did spend 900 bucks to yeah. go to his funeral and he showed up out of that coffin and woke <laughs> up, he'd go, Bert, how much you pay for your ticket? That's the first thing he'd fucking say. I go, if you knew that man, you should respect that man and, and your relationship with him and go like, yeah. I know Patrice would, would go, Bert, are you, the first thing he said, if he was, if, if, if it, are you here to meet Chris Rock? That was the first thing he'd say to me. And I'd be like, well, a little yeah. bit. <laughs> I mean, I know that there's going to be a lot of big names here. I'm hoping Bernie Mac's here. But what was his funeral like? It was, uh, it was, it was. I was kind of in a in a haze about it, man. For me, it was like, you know, I just I, all I could do that entire day was thinking of, think about all the gigs that I'd done with him. You guys the, legit 
like on the road together. When we were in Scotland. He spoke so highly of you. Yeah, I was, and and he always looked he out. For always me. had your back. He really did, because he because he understood what I was beyond just like the perception from outsiders seeing this trajectory. He he knew the hard work that went in. You know, we yeah. were doing it together. We were at Stitches in Boston in 1991. We were in. Uh, in uh, the improv in uh, Coconut Grove back in the day and doing gigs. Oh my and, God. Just, all those shows, man. That he fucking was, place. Yeah. I have, gr- I have a video that I've never shown anybody of Patrice auditioning for the Green Mile in my apartment. <laughs> the old apartment, the Hacienda apartment, the shit apartment that I used to live in. Shut the fuck I up. have his, re- he, was, he was up for it. He was a good actor, man. I have he a was dr- a great actor. I have a dramatic audition at my house where he has to cry and I have like 10 takes of Patrice doing this scene and you go, this guy could have been a, a big actor, man. Huge. I have a video of my buddy started a media company. Uh, like a, when the internet was getting taken off, they created YouTube, yeah. not YouTube, but it was called zoom culture. Okay. And where you have a zoom page and it's like a YouTube page. Okay. And, uh, they needed content. And so they had a whole production house. And so they flew to New York and they were like, we want to record uh, some comics where I was going to record you, but who do you think should be on it? I was like, Patrice O'Neill. Yeah. And I saw that the other day. It's a 30 minute. Oh, man. Black and white. It's 30 uh, minutes of Patrice just on stage, not giving a fuck because he's like, what's an internet company? <laughs> Zoom culture was Zoom what they culture. went with. Zoom. Oh, that is not a name that rolls off the tongue. If you want to make it in this industry, you got to be kind of rhymey, like YouTube or Scrubby Bubbles. <laughs> How come you never invested in any tech companies? Um, I, I just don't think it was on my radar. I love yeah. utilizing them, but you know, it's funny cause years later people say, did you get a piece of MySpace?" It was like, I wish, you know, I wish that I had uh, met with them. Those guys, on. they were, they were, how did you find MySpace? I think I was already on like Friendster and people on, uh, some AOL chat rooms were like, Hey, this is a place that, you know, people can post pictures and comments and. I was like, all right, great. I just kind of thought it was another forum at first, you know, like a, just a chat room, but uh, quickly learned that it was becoming like a hub, you know, it was like a hub. I remember being on there and like talking with um, like Green Day or somebody else like in us writing back and forth being like, did you, did your numbers go up a hundred thousand today? I'd be like, yeah. They'd be like, yeah, us too, man. Wow. This is people are just getting on there and that's so here, crazy. the thing about the internet this sounds like this makes me sound really like the old bull on the hill but i'm happy to be there is that that time what was so um glamorous about the internet was you could be in the middle of nowhere and feel connected with a guy in la who was doing comedy was making something of his life it was it was like a portal for the first time yeah. to be with other people anywhere in the world so it wasn't about your little town anymore. It was about the community of where this, um, this you know, uh, internet space is. So I felt that. It was like, it was a happening. It really felt like, oh, there's a place where people are discovering things that they never would have seen because I'm not going to be in their hometown. But now you can feel like you're right next to me through this, you know, social media. It was cool, man. What were the first, what were the first celebrity impressions where you got, where you were like, what? Like, I remember hearing stories like, uh, Britney Spears and Justin Timberlake were at the fucking Laugh Factory. They yeah, wanted yeah. to see Dane. They used to come down to see my show or, or Cameron Diaz and I mean all the, you know, uh, whatever, like some of my favorite bands, you know, were, were coming out and seeing shows. Who's the first round? Who's the Limp Bizkit? Who are the first rounds of people where, where, uh, where Boston Dane was like, shut the fuck up. You like, you weren't Hollywood Dane yet where you were like, 
the first I'm trying to think of what that would have been because I remember when Brittany and Justin came in you were still very cool with it like you were like oh that's good. you guys want to do a picture yeah. like you were very you weren't you weren't you weren't as the way I'd be like I'd be like oh my god you're both wearing denim this this is probably not the answer you're expecting but the first time I ever really geeked out was in 98 when I first came to LA for like the long haul I'd gotten cast on my first tv show with Betty White was my grandmother so I did a full season of television with I loved Golden Girls. Golden Girls Golden is still Girls one, one of the, the funniest, one of the funniest shows, one of the funniest to fucking, this yes, day. Yes, hilarious, and she was hilarious. So, quick funny story is I get on the show and I'm 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 working with Betty White, and by the way, Marie Osmond was my mom. So I'm working with Marie Osmond and um, Betty White, and I'm learning. I'm, I'd never done a TV show. I'd never been on a TV set. I'm learning from Betty White, arguably one of the greatest sitcom actors of all time. And she told me something that now when you watch a Golden Girls repeat, one day we were having uh, trouble remembering a line change. They had changed our scene around, and it was like we're shooting it in front of an audience in like 10 minutes, and they gave us a rewrite. She goes, you want to know a little trick that we used to do on Golden Girls? I go, yeah. And she said, anytime you see us in a scene take a long sip out of our cup we have our lines written on the inside of the mug shut the fuck up yep so she's like <laughs> or or the sugar packets they were always holding sugar packets well i'll tell you blanche she said we'd write the lines on the sugar packet to remind us all right this is my next line right here so we did that we wrote our lines inside the mug and there's a scene where we both take a sip and me and betty are both cheat cheating our fucking scene <laughs> So that was like when I felt like, hey, this Boston kid is now working with somebody who I used to just watch on the boob tube, and now I'm standing here with. The 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 stuff that came later with like pop icons and all that, I'd already kind of felt like I was, uh, I already kind of felt like I was in at that point, so I wasn't as, uh, the only people that have ever blown me away is comedians. Really? Yeah. Comedians are the only people that I look at as like. To stand up on stage, and not just me doing it, standing up on stage alone with just your ideas and moving a room full of people, that's that's a beautiful thing, man. It is a weird thing when you look at that versus acting. Like, like totally acting. Totally different, yeah. I, Actors I, and, yeah, yeah. I totally. have a hard time, I have a hard time, I, I really don't, I genuinely, I don't think enjoy acting. Like, I don't, I enjoy doing comedy. I enjoy it for the reason of what com what it isn't, which is, it's collaborative and it's me feeling like a small significant piece to a greater puzzle. And I like being utilized in that way. You're a good actor though. You're oh, a thanks, good, man. No, but you're a good actor. Like, like when I act like like a great actor can get weird on camera, like Vincent D'Onofrio, right. get weird and, it, and you connect with them. Yeah. When I get weird, you just feel like you're watching <laughs> someone get weird. You're like, Oh, well, I feel uncomfortable for both. Maybe of you us. just haven't been cast in the right part, Bert. Oh, maybe. I remember you called me one time. You were doing a you were doing a sitcom, and you're like, "We're trying to cast my best friend. I think you're perfect for it. Here's how you should play it." And I fucked it up so oh, bad. Man. I think I came in with an accent. I mean, I was like, <laughs> I was the fucking. I am still one of the worst. I'm a good actor if I play Bert Kreischer. I remember reading that script every as script, himself. You should every, be in every credit every list. script that ever. Cause you were in development. How many times did you develop sitcoms? What, 10 times i don't know yeah probably mm -hmm. i remember i get the script of your development of like whatever cast of that and i remember the first like five it was like dane comes in the room like a thunderstorm and i was like <laughs> i was like wow i don't th i think they just they saw his act they like it but they don't know how to write it <laughs> dane comes in like a bull in a china shop yeah. oh you're so right i remember so many of those going like hold on 
Wait, there's more to team than just the hello, motherfuckers. Right. It's so funny because I remember for so many years being like, um, you know, like getting the phone call, getting the offer, getting the part. And then you reach a point in your career, if you've been doing that for a little bit, where suddenly my friends were calling me and they would say, hey, man, I don't know if you know about this role. Uh, I go, no, I never heard of it. And they, they'd send me the sheet. It would say, we're looking for a Dane Cook type. Dude, I got. I was like, I auditioned. For I'm every, not even getting my own type anymore. I got every Dane Cook type. They're like, you guys look alike, so like, you'd be good. <laughs> I go, hold on. By the way, I don't know how to act. Like, if you're really looking for Dane, go to Dane. Oh my god. What was uh, what was your favorite comedy you did? Best Friends Girl. Really? Yeah. I Jessica Biel. Nope. That was. Um, well, which one was Jessica Biel? Uh, Kate Hudson. Jessica uh, Biel was kind of like. Uh, no, that was uh, Alba. Oh, that's what I'm thinking of, Jessica Alba. Jessica Alba. I'm sorry. Yeah. Um, my best friend's girl is because I filmed it in Boston, and I produced oh, yeah. it with Lionsgate. So here I was coming home to Boston, producing a film that I was also starring in, and also, more than the other movies, and this is something that, why people sometimes say, why don't you do more comedies now, or why aren't you doing... Well, the truth is, I did a bunch, and to varying degrees of success, but except for my best friend's girl, I didn't really have the same kind of input that I did my stand-up you know what yeah, i mean i was just yeah. a hired hand and when you're the center of something this is why sandler does it so well you're the strong center of something it's built around you and it works around your strengths and that was the first movie i did that i felt like really worked around because i because i was a part of it from the inception yeah so now when i make movies it's like i want to do things that are more organic to like the kind of humor I also like or where I'm at in my life now. Yeah. So it was a learning process. Like anything, good had some good high watermarks. I don't always look at everything I did as like, you know, like the stand-up that I can look at and be, I'm pretty proud of most of the lineage of my stand-up, but the acting stuff is hit or miss, you know? It's crazy because you, you... But my role coming up this year, I have a movie coming out um, May 14th. I just, saw, I just saw the trailer, Dude, I think. Best thing I've ever done. You and done. that kid? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Levi Miller, he plays my son. If you love Mr. Brooks, if you love Dan in real life, if you like me in things that are off kilter and a little darker, this is my my favorite uh, opportunity I've ever had to play a character. Really? What's yeah. the story? Can you talk about it? Uh, it's it's a little bit convoluted only in terms of I don't want to give it away. I, I'm a father who, for a series of very dramatic reasons, I kidnap my own son. I take him you know, against his mother's will, and then we go on seemingly a bit of a, a road trip adventure together and it's it's dark really it's uh, levi miller is a huge star this kid who plays my son is like you watch him in this movie and you're you're seeing somebody who's going to be like the next dicaprio or he could take it as far as he wants this kid's amazing when was when was the last th like when was the last project that you you wanted like you were like you're like like it panicked like when you were young again because I'm sure you've gotten to a place where you're like you get projects brought to you and you're like you're like oh yeah it seems interesting and if it works out that's great but one that you were like like uh like I heard the story about Elijah Wood who was in The Hobbit really wanted to play The Hobbit mm -hmm. so he shot himself in the backyard dressed like a Hobbit oh wow and Peter ja and they said no and then Peter Jackson saw it and was like I yeah. like the fact that he shot himself like a hobbit. Well, I shot the uh, audition for Mr. Brooks in my trailer while I was doing Employee of the Month. Really? Um, yeah. Costner had seen my comedy. He knew that I was dipping into some dramatic stuff, and he reached out, and he said, have Dean go on tape for this and send it to me. So I went in my trailer. I worked on the scene the best I could, sent it to him, and then he called me up, and he goes, um, you know, you got a pretty gnarly death scene in this movie. Have you ever done a death scene? I said, no. And he's like, you, you know, I love your tape, but, you know, this is, this. by the way, this Costner, The Untouchables, is on the phone with me. Dude. Dances with Wolves in Field of Dreams is talking to me. And I'm just like, 
God, this is like a hero of mine. And he's saying to me, he's like, do you feel like you're, uh, you know, you can, you can step into this. Do you, you feel like, you know, you're going to put the same commitment as you, I've seen you doing your standup. I said, I, I said, I wouldn't be on this phone call with you if I didn't know I could exceed your expectations. He goes, you got it. And he gave me the job right there. And we went and we did the death scene. He comes up to me that night and he goes, you have one take. We can't redo it. We can't do the whole, he cut my neck with a shovel. Yeah. He goes, we can't redo it. We can't, uh, he goes, one take. This was my first death scene ever in a really gritty movie. And uh, I'm, it's one of my proudest moments of performance. You're amazing in that movie. Oh, You're thanks, literally man. amazing in that movie. Yeah, people dig that movie, man. It's got kind of a cult, uh, little cult following. You've got one of the, you've got, you've got a great, you, you can play dark very well. Yeah, I, and you know what? As a person who grew up loving guys like uh, Jerry Lewis, you know, who did King of Comedy, I watched one of the silliest, most absurd guys that also ended up being a, a mentor and a very close friend of mine in his in his last several years. I was really close with Jerry. I talked to him almost every week, really? and um, I would talk to him about dramatic stuff because he was he had such a great uh, he had an, uh, an amazing insight on like all things performance, but. I wanted to be like that. I wanted to, you know, Rob Williams and Goodwill Hunting to me. I fucking love the scene. Yeah, Rob the Williams is great at dark. Yeah, Garp, how, the world according to Garp. I mean, I, to me, I, I feel like um, I feel like comedians more than anybody are capable of so much more than what people see on the surface, right? Because yeah. we make it look easy because of what we're doing up there, and you fucking seems like it's your footloose and fancy free. They don't know that the years of dedication we are we are some of the most diligently. We're like. Uh, blacksmiths you know we're in there pounding lead man for a lot a lot a lot of years to get to a place where we make it look like it's nothing yeah you know what's the one thing that maybe people don't know about you that i do know about you is that through your entire career you've always come up with shows be them game shows uh, uh uh reality shows like like always you always had a pitch you always had an idea <laughs> yeah what's your one show that when you were younger you thought this is a fucking home run if they just do it they never greenlit it and you're like fuck you i still stand by this idea my show is stranded and branded i get left on a desert island with nothing but corporate integrations to sustain me for one month so literally <laughs> wait, like, this is a reality this is a, that this is what i want to do this show forever no one will pay wait, for it stranded and branded stranded so i'm on a branded. desert island and literally they're like maytag sent you a hundred dishwashers and so then 100 dishwashers get delivered to the island, and I got to figure out how to make a shelter out of dishwashers. What did I try to do once? I think I tried to actually uh, pitch um, Dane Cook live from the moon. <laughs> I wanted to do the first comedy show in space and potentially actually do it on the moon. Yeah, and we actually took a meeting on this, and they, in the meeting they were like, this would fucking cost like a billion dollars. Are you... <laughs> Are you crazy? That's how like ludicrous I was at that point. I'm like, I can do anything. I can do comedy on the moon. I remember, but I did pitch it. I remember hearing a pitch brought to me by Barry, I'm sure. And he's like, Papa, would you be interested in doing stand-up and Dane Cook shoots you with a pe paint pellet gun? And what? Was oh, like, that was in my show. That was right. That, was, that was in like, my stand-up show. That yeah. was in my uh, a, a scripted show that I did. I remember that scene. Never. Yeah. That, that was another pilot I did that never... You know, we do a lot of stuff that never sees the light, light of day. But what do you, where do you see this business going? I mean, as someone who's always been in front of the business. Okay. So my my goal, well, you know, this that's an interesting question, man, and something I really like talking to young people that I think are entrepreneurial. So if you're listening, my goal in like 2000, 2001 was this. Uh, my like credo was, um, I want to be in everybody's home meaning like on your computer i want to be in everybody's home i want everybody to have access to me there was there was, there was 
I'm certain one day in your life that you were actually in everybody's home. I felt it. Yeah, I, yeah, I know yeah, those yeah. days. I, 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 you know, it was, uh, it was a good four year chunk before things started getting way dramatic and you know cuckoo, where it was like I, f- I really felt like I was in the, um, the, the sweet spot for a good amount of time. You know. Yeah. Um, but uh, I, so I would say to people now, I, you know, back then I would say I want to be in your home, and now the mentality is I want to be in everybody's pocket. Yeah. You know, you want to be in everybody's pocket. You want everybody to know if they need that outlet they can come to your podcast they can come to your show they can come to because that then is circumventing hey i need to be uh on this hit show to be relevant relevance is not being on a hit show relevance is not just being on saturday Night live it's an avenue people on saturday Night live very talented i know a lot of those people but it's not the forum or the place that you need to have a springboard what you need to be doing is cultivating ideas and ways to be in everybody's pocket and what I would say to that is, example, four years ago, there was an app. It's not around anymore. If somebody's listening and you want to put your time into inventing a new version of this app, here's what it was. It was called Say Now. It was bought out by Google. You know this, right? I was on Say Now. Okay. Say Now was amazing because when you logged into your Say Now account, let's say I had a million followers. Tell everyone point. what Say Now was. Okay. So Say Now was, was an app that... Basically, it was almost like a, go, uh, a a rolling radio station or rolling podcast where you could hit go live and you could r- record as much audio like this as you want. And when you hit send, whoever was following you, 100% of your followers got an alert of the audio. 100%. So when I would put tickets on my say now, I would hit send. You could text. It would send to everybody. A million people would get a text. Hey, it's the middle of the night. How you doing, everybody? My thing is going to air on Comedy Central in 20 minutes if anybody wants to watch. 100%. The stats today, uh, social media, it's like, I think it's less than 6% of eyes will ever see what you post because yeah. it's streaming and rolling and nobody's seeing it. This app, for a year's time that we were on there, every single thing that I ever sent made it to every single fan that wanted to hear what I had to say. And yeah. I haven't found something to this day. TV, nothing does it like that. And what was also cool about that is you could hit go live and you would see um, recorded audio messages from somebody and they'd say, hey, what's up, man? I'm in, I'm in Minnesota. Uh, saw your tour here last year. You coming back. You could hit reply reply, yeah. and and everyone could hear your reply. So it was like a podcast that you could do anytime Very you wanted. Very interactive, yeah. That's how you are in everybody's pocket. But, you, but, and this is even probably more important piece of the equation than even the, the dome of what we're talking about. There's only one word that keeps you here and that keeps I here. There's one word that any arena or any, doesn't matter, whatever gig, if you're not this word in this industry, it's not going to last, no matter what technology you have, and that's funny. If you're not funny, you can get all the people in the world to look at you by clapping your hands or starting a fire. If you're not working hard on your craft, you're not going to keep people in the room. They might look once, but they're going to jet. So the, the, to bring it full circle, the, the, rev, uh, the feeling uh, relevant and, and the resilience that I talked about earlier, that comes when the talent you've worked is coupled with being innovative with whatever technology or whatever's next is what you should be looking into. That's my two cents on it. Well, you've always been whatever's next is going to be your, t- is, is, you've always been the first one on the thing. Like, yeah, I'm just interested. It's like, that's my, I'm on Gizmodo every day. I love tech. 
I just love reading about all that stuff. I was, as you th- said that, I thought here I, I, to to further the conversation we've had about consumer first as opposed to artist first. Consumer, yeah. what we want. I'll tell you what I want. This is what I want. I don't know how to make this. I don't know what it. I don't even know what this is. I want one more app to t- click on. So like I'm in a, I'm in a three app circle. Okay. I'm in uh, news, Twitter, Instagram. Yes. It's, it's it's five apps: email, text, news, Twitter, Instagram. Okay. So I go through those, and once and I feel depressed in the morning when I wake up and I haven't and I've gotten through all mine and I'm still out out of bed. I go. So I got nothing left for the day. I just did all my fucking fun, all my fucking all my pellets, all my treats are are used for the day. Mm. What if you did an app? What if you you created your app that constantly was uploaded with things like news and like what if you did your own TV show that was uploaded every five hours right. for another 10 minutes of content every single fucking day? I wonder, that's just an idea, everybody. Well, it's it's like what you're looking at is, um, and I think a lot of celebrities with Instagram use this, like a, a network that it's it's Burt TV. It's yeah. really like people. And by the way, it doesn't necessarily just all need to be content you're um, prolific in. Just fun be, shit I like. It can be stuff that you like. Yeah, this you're I a tastemaker, you know. Yeah. And, and and we are in a sense, like you know, what we talk about that we like and what's hip and what's cool. Like people will tend to be like, oh man, I'll check that out. I like Bird. I'm gonna like yeah, you're basically pulling all your shit. I like this that you like into this app yeah. where you go like, hey, you could go to Twitter, but you can come here. I found all the good shit. Right, because Twitter is the is 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 the opposite. It's like everybody's being siphoned into this one column. And it's, and it's hard to find the good shit. It's really hard. And there's it It becomes like, um, because it's everybody's, then suddenly it becomes like the, the cool kids are the ones that get the retweets and the clicks and the... Yeah. You want something that's singular to your experience for your fans. So yeah. I'm, w- I'm with you on that. The idea of that in a say now, you know, Google bought it and they, <clears throat> they turned it into like Google Voice, but it wasn't in any way the same there were downsides to say now like i remember because they could reply to you and a lot of times they were like what bands would do because bands would use say now yep they go out i remember this band i I wish i remembered their name they came out and they were like they were like uh they were like hey you want to say now we were doing an event frosty because frosty was big into say now Mm -hmm. he got me on to say now he got bobby on to say now and he was like and we were at this event in the meadowlands and frosty was like yeah, Say Now is great. And this band was about to go on. They're like, well, are you, do you do Say Now? And I go, yeah. They're like, you should get your Say Now number out there. And I was like, I don't know. What am I going to just tell everyone to text me? And they go, oh, no, no. This is much better watch. <laughs> so they go out and they're like, hey, do me a favor, everybody. My brother's over in Afghanistan and he would love to get a text from you. <laughs> oh, no. Text his number right now and say you love him, okay? And then <laughs> they were like fucking 10,000 oh, people. And, and then they came off stage like, just got all those numbers. <laughs> oh, man. No. <laughs> No, that's not how you do. It. Oh, the, but but I remember getting Yikes. say now numbers or whatever. Yeah, and uh, and my daughter left a say now at like fucking three in the morning, and some guy called with irate. Listen, buddy, I saw you one fucking time. I signed up for this stupid number. I don't know how to get off of it. I don't need your fucking daughter calling me at three in the fucking morning. <laughs> and then I never used say now after that. Oh. I never used it once. Well, you know, it wasn't around very long either. Yeah, it was. A- but but for for a hot minute, I was like, wow, I've never even MySpace like. Yeah, I had access to a lot of people, but a hundred percent of eyes seeing what what it is that you're trying to express. Yeah, that you know that to me is very interesting. Something in that space, you know, I know Instagram does it to some extent, but again, it's like if you're not a tastemaker, if you're not somebody who has the fifty million, you know, people or whatever, yeah. it doesn't feel 
as important to you, but I, I think that there's something in the middle of this, what we're yeah. talking about, that could be the next incarnation of what people should be using to get their name out there. How long does this tour go on? All year. And then I probably shouldn't say this, but like it's already been so successful that we're already talking about next year and everything else overseas nice. and overseas yeah, yeah yeah so all year long and then we're adding some dates now and then ends at radio city which i've never done well, never done radio city music hall a little let down from madison square garden no yeah. no <laughs> no not at all radio i saw no, i saw no. someone was there recently and it, was, it looked beautiful Chappelle? i have no idea oh, okay chappelle's got an interesting career Chappelle's got an amazing career. It's, it's interesting more than it's amazing. Well, it's, it's interesting. Right. But look at it. Like he's in so many lanes. You know what I mean? And, 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 and talk about somebody who did it, you know, on their own recognizance. It's just, that's an amazing thing that you guys started at the same time, right? Well, he was a little bit before me because Dave was already like on stage at when I got to New York and I was whatever, 19, he was like 16 or 15. So he was already, already like, you know, being brought into nightclubs and you're like, who's this kid? And then suddenly you're like, oh my God, he's like, he's like, uh, was it clear? Was it clear that he was who he is? Was it clear right away? Was he just like, he's all, he's really funny, but he's like, I'll tell you, I'll tell you, I was on a, a, a small college tour where I think for a few days it was just Dave and I, and I would open up for Dave and then Dave was closing the show and I would uh, go up and, you know, at that time I'm bombastic and it's just like yeah. insane energy. You know, I'm sweating from every, you know, part of my body. I leave the stage and Dave would go on. I'd watch him. And he, dude, he would like, he would do that thing where he'd be like, yeah, what's going on? Hey man, you guys good? Everybody's good. You know, I was thinking about this thing, man. He'd take this long pause and he'd pull, you'd, you'd feel him pulling his confidence and ability to let the, I think he even said years later, I'm going to paraphrase a, a great quote that Dave said, um, the power's in the silence, man. The power of comedy is in the silence leading up to the laugh or the story. Wow. And he was doing that at like teens, <laughs> captivating a crowd after I had gone on and spun the whole fucking room into a frenzy. Yeah. He'd go out there and he would downshift it in the most elegant, inspirational way and kill. Kill. A different kind of killing, but killing. It was That's amazing. fucking. Yeah. Yeah, he had that, man. And he still, you know, that's the thing about Dave now. He got to a place that very early that is where I feel like I finally have um, accomplished something in my life, which is I'm, I'm, he was always so present. He's always been so present. And even now it's like, it's not an act. It's Dave. He just yeah. exists up there to talk about some of these things that he's formulating and I always looked at that and said, I want to be a person that I, I'm a showman. I love putting on a show. Yeah. But I but I want the ability to downshift elegantly and do whatever the fuck I want for 10 minutes and not worry about the biggest laugh or the most important thing of, because I know I'm going to get there. Now I'm in a sandbox. Yeah. And my whole like, I don't know how this, I, I find this interesting. How you visualize comedy, I'd, I'd love to hear because for me, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a box. Mm -hmm. I always see it like as a, a sandbox. And then there's four corners. And those are four of my uh, like high powered ideas that I've been cultivating. And then there's a grid. And I see this. It's like minority report that yeah. I see. And then I've got a few things inside that I know are like um, hot points. <laughs> but I keep it in this grid because I want to linger every night 
and I don't want to stick to any one point. So I've never written anything down in comedy. I've never written my set down. I never planned before I go on stage in front of 20,000 people. I didn't know what I was going to do. Vicious Circle, there's 40% that I made up on that special. Really? Because I see this quadrant, and I've always wanted to live in that place of, man, I can, I can just be funny and real and present. Yeah. And so now it's like now I'm playing with all the, you know, all the different tools to be able to, you know, put on the shows that I'm doing now. And the reaction's been honestly like I'd knock on wood if there was something right here. Amazing. I'm I so always happy. View, I always view it as a boat. A boat? Uh, it's a boat. <laughs> and I have a boat full of I have a boat full of ideas. Okay. It's almost like and so then my goal is to swim away from the boat as far as I can get. Yep. And if need be, I can always swim back to the boat. Okay. But my goal is to swim outside the boat and be around the boat and not need the boat. Like, Has this boat thing been? Uh, I've always idea? Th- I've always thought of comedy as I you're got, being serious. I'm being dead serious. Oh, Maybe, I thought you were soon just as, being. No, as soon as you said a quadrant, I went, I "Oh, I have a." Love it. I've always looked at it as like I got a boat. I got a boat full of stuff that I know works. Like if I need to, yeah, uh, like tools that help me get fish. Yes. But I want to get the. I want to get it. Yes. I want to, and I want to be as far away from the boat. And look back at the boat, knowing full well I can swim back to the boat if I need right. to. That's amazing. I mean, we're we're. It, that's why I thought it was interesting to ask you, and I'm glad that is real because it's 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 mutual but very different. And it's yeah. that idea of like when you said quadrant, I went, no, I get that. Yeah, I totally fucking. I want to just be. I want to. When I looked at the guys that I loved growing up, they had a performance, they had an act, they had a certain mentality that was showman. I like that, but I always loved people that seemingly could just be in the moment. It's like I, when you said that, I thought, I bet Dave, David, Dave Chappelle's, uh, way, his, the way he looks at it, he goes, oh, I walk into the desert for 40 days. And then it, whatever happens, happens. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, he's, you know, listen, he's one of the best. You know, there. if you're going to give the heavyweight yeah. title to somebody, he, you know, he might be, he might be. I think it goes in and out. I think, you know, well, obviously. I mean, yes. Obviously, because like there's times I remember when Rock had it. And then, and then, then you know, and you had it. Chappelle had it, but I've it never goes- been. T- I've never been touted, dude. My whole career, my whole career, I've never been on a Rolling Stone list of top hundred comedians. No, zero. I've never, ever gotten gotten any kind of. For me, it was like the acclaim that I always felt like I got when I think about my career is fans. I never think yeah. about. I've I've had some the luxury of being on a Billboard chart or whatever because I did that. But I've never been um, I, the way I the the reverence that I have and the way I speak about certain comics that I loved growing up. Like I get that from fans, but I don't, I don't get that from the mainstream media. That's yeah. I always yeah. felt like the most successful alt comic ever is how I felt. <laughs> I really did because I grew up in that. I, I you yeah. know that, coming out of Catch Rising Star, I used to watch those guys. I felt like I was more of an alt storyteller than I, you know, I was. You know, so funny. Gary Goldman told me that to me one time. He goes, "He goes, I always feel like you and Dane are more alt comics." And I went, I, "I don't see that at all." And he goes, "Well, I, by the way, I know I'm going to hurt people's feelings, but he goes, you guys are doing what they want to do, but in mainstream rooms." He's like, "What they want to do is be different and tell stories and not, you know, and that's what you guys are doing. You're just doing it in mainstream rooms." Sure. Gary was uh, Gary was I was so close with Gary for so fucking long, especially right up leading up to right when I had kids. Yeah, and obviously I have kids, everything. But you think you'll ever have kids? Uh, absolutely, really. Yeah, I look forward to it, man. It's the one thing that when you talk about when you said what are my regrets? Yeah, actually, it's away from comedy. It's not you know, it's not so much what I didn't do in comedy. It's I thought I'd have a family at thirty. Really? Yeah, I really did. I really did, but I was so like caught up in my own career and, and life. Just some of the top grade pussy in this town. You've gotten some of the hottest. I'm not, <laughs> not going to be lewd and lascivious, but let's just say I've 
Been around the block a couple of times. Oh, oh. <laughs> when I was a young single man coming up in Hollywood. Have you ever fucked a celebrity where you were I'm like, I'm not going to go Come on, there. come on, just My me. girlfriend now would be like, babe, what the <laughs> where fuck? you were like, you, you can't, that's go, the thing. You can can't I get talk, your autograph? You can't. T- <laughs> <laughs> you, you, there was a joke in my routine years ago, and this is actually very true, where I was, and I can quote this because it was in my my comedy repertoire as opposed <laughs> to me just, you know, talking out of school. And I I, um, I fooled around with this very lovely, very talented young woman. <laughs> and uh, and afterwards, I had a headshot under the pillow. And I pulled it out and was like, do you want me to make this out to you or just sign it? So I had like a signed <laughs> headshot. And uh, it, she laughed. Thank God she laughed. But yeah, no, when I was a younger cad... In my formative years, I had some fun, man, out here. Oh, got some stories. I, you did Hollywood. You did. I mean, like if you look, you at, did Hollywood. I didn't did, do Hollywood. No, no, you did Hollywood right. When when you look at Hollywood, you did Hollywood right. You came out here young. You you busted your ass. Yep. You had fun. You didn't sure. get caught up in drugs. Right. You had the the most success a comedian can get in their in their in their industry. Yeah, it was fun, man. You 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 made movies. You made TV shows. Yeah. You created. You directed. You've done everything. There, it's like I remember there was a guy Ari Sandel. I don't know why I remember yeah, his name yeah. so well. Ari Sandel. Yep. And he he won an uh, Oscar for short film. And he said I would be remiss. I didn't know what the word remiss was. My wife goes, it means you regret not saying something. <laughs> and I went, oh, you couldn't put that together. I just didn't by know the what word the word remiss was. No, I was like, what the fuck's remiss? <laughs> I'm I'm always remiss. I think. And so then. <laughs> I go. That's goes, your new special. Yeah, <laughs> remiss. Remiss. And I said, oh, "I'm a remiss about a lot of shit." And she was like, "Really?" I go, "Yeah." Like <laughs> one of my uh, one of my things is like, like I think I would be remiss if I didn't make a make a movie in Hollywood while I lived in Hollywood. Right. I don't know if it's gonna happen. I think I'm cool with the remiss. But you've done this business. Like I, I graduated college, no fucking regrets. Seven years. Uh, Number one party animal in the country. Oliver Stone option the rights to my life, and I go, yeah, I'm good. <laughs> and right. now I feel like you're. I feel like in a weird way, you've you you're 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 getting to go back to college. Like you're, you're coming back and doing theaters that that probably I want to say you probably leapfrogged out of and never got the experience. I never of. got to play these places. Yeah, and these are the these are the fucking the best. These are the ones that were created. <laughs> the best, dude. I, 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 you know, it's like who would have thunk? But I'm like, it's like, it's like, what a what a beautiful blessing to have, be in a place in your career where you feel seasoned, you're well accomplished, you're beyond competent, you're in one of the inarguably one of the most talented guys in our profession, and you're getting to like just go, I'm gonna go have fun now, right? I'm gonna go do all the shit, which is by the way, Chicago theater is a is a is a I'm doing it in November has hashtag secret time, but uh, I don't know if I saw the whole thing up, but I'm doing it in November, but uh, but that's like a that's you know, for all of us, that's oh, a yeah. feather in our hat and you're getting to go and, and almost really enjoy yourself. I'm really, I'm so happy for you. Man. Oh man. Thank you. It took, it took a minute, you know, it really did to finally, you know, there was a lot of years where I described it. Like I was either, um, ruminating about what I needed to do next or wanted to do next, or I was, um, beating myself up about my past and how I felt growing up and how like low that I was for so many years that I really wasn't present. In the last like five, 10 years, I'm like, oh man, I'm just, I'm in the healthiest, happiest place. I'm past a lot of that crazy, insane drama, losing my family, all that stuff that happened, but it's informed who I am today on stage. And it gives me that, you know, that, um, I I love to, you know, use terms like this, but it's like that 
I feel like I finally have that pedigree. I know you said 10 years ago, and I was doing some great stuff 10 years ago. I'm very, I'm very proud. I'm not I'm, uh, ashamed or embarrassed about anything in my comedy group. Maybe some haircuts uh, or frosted tips might have been a, a misstep. But it's truth better be than to- going bald. Keep truth, going. Be to- truth be told, I, I love that it's all led up to this now. And like the, um, whatever the groundswell of goodwill that's come out of this, this, particular tour it's um i don't take it for granted you it's, know what i mean i think it's the ebb and the flow it's like you it is really hard it to is be the biggest comic in the world i mean look what's going on with kevin hart kevin hart cannot stop stepping in shit only because and, he, and by the way kevin's not a bad person right and he's not a vindictive mean person he's just a person right but he's been so big that it's like there's a group of people waiting for right. him to fail well that's why i told you the introduction to success is an introduction to uh, a lot of you know, resentment, jealousy, people that just hate you, not into what you're doing. And that people that want get excited to hate. Well, yeah, they that's, go, a, that's oh, a culture. I'm so excited I have someone to hate now. Yeah, yeah. It's, a, it's also a mutual uh, collaboration, just like your fans are a mutual collaboration of like, you know, let's lock arms and enjoy Burt together. It's like, yeah. that's all Hater Nation is as oh, well. And they, 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 he just takes El- his shirt Elvis off, Presley the same story every time. Every, Elvis <laughs> Presley did the greatest thing in the history of this conversation. And it's something that I've never forgotten. And I have one of, uh, I have a couple of items from Elvis because Al Dotley, my tour manager, um, he was working with Elvis the night he died. Al Dotley gave me the last two tickets to the last Elvis show framed as a thank you for being a part of the tour. He also gave me a couple other items. And one of the items is, uh, this is amazing. It's a pin that you could buy back in the day. And it said, I hate Elvis. And it sold millions of dollars. You know who made those pins? Elvis fucking Presley. And I and I said, that's the career I want. I want to use all of it. The good and the bad. I don't care. I'll be Darth Vader. I'll be Luke Skywalker. I don't give a fuck. Elvis Presley made I hate Elvis pins. Amazing. Oh, I love it. It's true. That's that's you can check that online too. Dude, that's a perfect way to end this interview. Love it. Dude, I love you, brother. I'm so happy for you. Thank you, man. I'm grateful to be here, dude. Dude, thank you for congratulations on everything and thanks for sharing it with me. Dude, fuck yeah. You got it. This episode was brought to you by The Machine.